that's where you're going to end up. <gasps> We're not done. Harry! You conniving bitch! Just let me... Let me explain. Oh, I want to hear it from your boyfriend. <gasps> Is he in there? Welcome to episode 128 of GBW Podcast. My name is Josh, and with me as always is Chris. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm great. That's good. We're very mellow tonight. We are very mellow tonight. Well, we're settling into the most most wonderful time of the year, winter, Um, after the snow has come and gone. Yeah. Hopefully not coming back. Yeah. This time after we record, I won't have to try and get my car unstuck from in oh, front yeah. of your house. Oh, yeah. We had an adventure last time. <laughs> yeah. We threw down some cardboard. <laughs> we did. <laughs> and we pushed the car. Oh, uh, it was fun. Broke the alignment. Yeah. yeah, I think the alignment got fucked from that. <laughs> I'm having a little bit of a shuddery <laughs> steering wheel right now. I'm going to have to get that checked. It's hard living in Vancouver. I know. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Oh, stop whining, Newfoundlanders. Come on. <laughs> so hard. Oh, my Uber won't take me to Surrey. Oh. I looked up Uber. We have Uber here now. And, and, and Lyft. And I only found there was one car that was like around. Around this area? Yeah. Dude, you should start driving Uber. I know. I thought you about it. You could fund your friggin' movie addiction with Uber. <laughs> Yeah, but I'd never be able to watch it because I'd be driving all the time. That's true. Yeah. Speaking of watching, why don't we talk about what we watched? Oh, yeah. So what should we, let's start with the one that we gave each other homework. Okay. So in order to try and cut down the <laughs> what have you been watching segment a little bit, <laughs> we decided we're going to each episode now until we get sick of it. We're going to try and both watch one, <laughs> at least one of the same movies. Yes. So... We were like, I had just bought a movie from Warner Archive because I'm right now in this big Warner Archive addiction where I'm like, oh, man, I just heard of this movie. What? It's out from Warner Archive and it's $10? Okay, then. Yeah. Uh, so this is one I recently bought, which Josh actually already had that he got as a gift. That's right. And that's a little movie from 1972 called Sitting Target. Yes. So let's, uh, well, Josh, why don't you tell the lovely people what Sitting Target is about? All right. Well, Sitting Target is directed by Douglas Hickox, um, who's probably best known for Theater of Blood. Yep. He is the father of Anthony Hickox and James Hickox. And Anthony Hickox did like the Waxwork Waxwork and Hellraiser 3. Oh, yes. Hellraiser 3. And James D.R. Hickox did Children of the Corn 3. The best (laughs) Children of the Corn. (laughs) Right. So, um... Sitting Target is a movie that stars Oliver Reed as a dude named Harry Lamart, Lamart, Lomart, sorry, who um, is uh, in prison and he is um, visited by his wife, played by Jill St. John, who uh, reveals to him that she is um, pregnant with another man's child. Uh, Harry goes apeshit, uh, plans a prison break, so for the sole reason of breaking out of prison, so he can hunt down Jill St. John and kill her. Yeah. And they're unborn and the unborn child i guess and along the way they hook they get involved with 
some of their past criminal cohorts. Yeah. And Edward Woodward is on hand playing the inspector yes. trying to protect Jill St. John. Yeah. Which a year before he was the inspector who went to that fucking island in the Wicker Man. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I gotta say, man, like that opening scene, the credits sequence with like Oliver Reed just doing workouts and shit. Yeah, like so the dude like is crawled crawls up on the pipes yeah. in his cell to do push-ups. Yeah, it's pretty intense. And I've never seen Oliver Reed like this. Like no. I know Oliver Reed from Gladiator and. Um, Mainly from like bad eighties action movies. Well, like uh, I know him from uh, Paranoiac, the Hammer film from the sixties, mm. and stuff like that too. We basically know him as bloated alcoholic <laughs> Oliver Reed. Yeah. I guess you would call him in the eighties. Yeah, like I haven't seen a lot of his classic work, so this yeah. is like badass kind of cool Oliver Reed, and I wasn't used to this. Yeah, so. he's doing all those presses and climbing up on the pipes and. The Stanley Myers scores like fucking wailing in the background, and I'm like, oh yeah, and uh, he's good looking and yeah. and pretty cool, and uh, yeah, I really liked him in this. And um, so in in prison, he's uh, got a buddy um, named uh, Birdie, played by Ian McShane, super young, super unrecognizable yeah. as well, and super cool also. And yeah, that was a super shocker for me. Like, I actually saw his name in the credits. Yep. And I didn't put it together until like you were the like, end. can't be the same guy. I, I wasn't even thinking that was Ian McShane. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, it was. So it was pretty, pretty crazy with that. But uh, the opening of this movie I thought was really cool. Like the whole prison and prison break. Well, sequence. I, I even like the part where Jill St. John is telling him yeah. that she cheated and they have Hickox like superimposes each of them on top of each other when they're talking. Yeah. Kind of like a reflection where they're both facing the same way and yeah. they're talking and it's just the way he did it is really cool. Yeah. There's and, a lot of artistic shots in this and a lot of the, there's a lot of use of mirrors in this, which yeah, I thought and, was pretty and just neat. Him smashing through. Yeah. was fucking rad. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm like, Oh yeah, don't mess with him. He's yeah. going to get you. So yeah, the first 40 minutes I thought was fucking awesome. epic. Yeah. Awesome. Really, really but good. Then it's kind of, <laughs> A little bit. Yeah, I've I've kind of been going back and forth on how I felt about the rest of it. So it does, once he gets, once they get out and then they're kind of out for revenge and like they're, yeah, looking for old, old uh, acquaintances. Um, I did find it kind of lost itself a little bit. Yeah, I thought but, Edward Woodward was kind of a waste of time. He to was. Be honest. He wasn't really, yeah. he just seemed to drift in and out of the movie. Yeah. Every once in a while he'd show up and be like, has he shown up yet? And then he'd disappear. Yeah. Because he'd show up at Jill St. John's apartment and be like, where is he at? Yeah. And he's so ineffectual yeah. th that the character, Oliver Reed's character, managed to sneak in anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, come on. <laughs> yeah. He just, it seemed like kind of anyone could have done that role. Um, I did like, um, there was some good action, some pretty decent action sequences. There was a s motorcycle stunt where I was just like... Someone must have been yeah, yeah, seriously yeah, yeah. injured during that. Yeah, yeah. Basically, a motorcycle goes up in flames while it's driving, and uh, it looked super fucking dangerous. And um, you know, I, I thought it had a fairly satisfying ending. Um, yeah, the ending, like I, I, I found that the up to the prison break, and I got to say that prison break is pretty rad. The prison break was great. like just yeah. the the rope. Yeah, the rope and the the there's that brutal moment with the dog yeah. and all this stuff like that was good like super efficient yeah super gritty 
super cool. And then it just kind of lost it. But then it did pick up at the end when, you know, all the stuff at the end, I was more satisfied with where it ended up than what was in the middle. Yeah. Like the second act was pretty weak. Yeah. Basically when they're trying to, yeah, kind of sort of trying to, he kind of threatens her and then he's like picking up his gun and stuff. Um, I thought they got to Frank Finley's or was it Frank Finley? Frank Finley's apartment. Um, he was an old cohort, right. Frank Finley from yep. Shaft in Africa. And I thought from then on it, it got good again. But yeah, there was that. There was like part. A, a big loss of momentum. Yeah. Because when you when you're coming out with just so cool in that first 40 half an hour to 40 minutes, yeah. the momentum drop was so noticeable yeah. to me. Like I get you have to slow it down. You can't keep up that pace through the whole thing. But that drop was so evident. Yeah, when I, when I was watching it, and yeah, when they do end up at that house, and um, the other girl comes into the picture, I didn't write down her Jill name. Jill Townsend, she was great. She yep. hasn't been in a lot of movies, but uh, but she's just she's Frank Finley's girlfriend, and he, yep. she's like <clears throat> just super, yeah, like just super cold. Yeah, but I I kind of liked her. I thought it was kind of sexy the way the how cold she was and. And, um, yeah, she just didn't give well, a like fuck. Her, yeah, well, even her, <laughs> even her actions, she was just like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, I really liked her. I, I wish she was in more stuff actually. But I, I also found that the, like you said, Woodward was totally wasted. Yeah. But I also found the revenge plot didn't seem that important once they got out of prison, particularly either for the most part. Like, yeah. I felt like even that took second, like took passenger seat to them, like interacting with their former criminal yeah it got a bit convoluted yeah. I, I just wish it was just a straightforward out for blood just hunting her down and yeah. it didn't even and because yeah like there were points where it could have happened way earlier and i'm just like if he was as hellbent why didn't he just get her done so yeah and jill st john i don't know she kind of bugged me in diamonds are forever that's kind of her best known role and she kind of bugged me in this too i don't know something about her but yes. um, overall, I mean, I, I think it was a cool premise. Cool seeing Oliver Reed like this. The opening half an hour is totally worth a look. look yeah. Um, especially for the price that these DVDs are. Um, and yeah, I thought it had a satisfying ending. I thought it was a pretty solid crime yeah. thriller slash action movie. Yeah. I just wish that it would have stuck to, stuck to its guns more. Yeah. Like it, it, it didn't. No. Like that's the problem. Like. I remember when I was watching it, I texted you a couple times. And when I said, oh, this is so rad or whatever, that was when I was watching that first opening yeah, half yeah. an hour, right? Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, this is so good. Yeah. yeah. And then I just kind of got a little bit like, <sighs> yeah, through the middle part. And it's unfortunate. But I, I'd say if you want to see Oliver Reed, as you haven't quite seen Oliver Reed, probably if you're like us. Yeah. Or if you want to see like a completely solid crime movie or young Ian McShane. If you're a fan of like, oh, exactly. I mean this, this Deadwood D- and John Wick movies is going to cost you like 10 bucks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's worth it for 10 bucks. And if you're a fan of like, I mean the writer is the same writer as uh, point blank. So if you like those British crime movies and this, it's pretty gritty for sure. And yeah, it's got that kind of like makes like London look pretty, or is it London they're in? I don't I think know. So, but whatever urban, urban Britain back in the seventies, it does look pretty like dirty and, and tough, right? It's a tough looking movie. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because I've not seen a Douglas Hickox movie before, but I've always heard he's like one of those British guys who <clears throat> didn't make a lot of movies. Yeah. But the stuff he made is really memorable. Like Theater of Blood's supposed to be one of, I think Vincent Price said Theater of Blood's one of his favorites mm. to act in. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. And he also directed uh, Brannigan with uh, oh, John Wayne. John Wayne. Yeah. And I'm curious about that because I think that's, he goes to London in Brannigan. Yeah. Like he's an American cop in London. Yeah. And I have the Kino Lorber Blu-ray of that. So I, oh, do you? So I want to kind of check that out too yeah. now because he's totally very much more artistically shot than I was expecting. Yeah. Like much more style than I was expecting. And, and like I said, pretty solid overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out if you're, if you're into this kind of stuff, yeah. but. Don't watch it when you're super tired. That's right. So that's sitting target. <laughs> sitting target. Okay. All right. Um, okay. I went to the theater. The theater? Twice in one week. Twice to the theater? To the same movie. What? Yeah. You liked it that much? I did. Oh, okay. And that's a movie called 1917. Oh. See, I kind of had a suspicion you had seen this. Okay, so... Direct. This is directed by Sam Mendes, um, who also did Jarhead, American Beauty, the last few Bond movies, Spectre and uh, Skyfall. So I'll start out by saying, yeah, I mean, I, as much as I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I don't know, Matt. <laughs> this is pretty well, fucking good. I think this is technically a 2020 movie. Uh, no, it came out at Christmas Day. <sighs> well, limited. No, it came out on Christmas Day. Hmm. Yeah, it's a 2019 movie. So okay. it is um it is a masterpiece technically. I've hmm. I've never seen, well, I, maybe I have, but it okay, so first of all, it's it's designed as as only like one or two shots. It obviously it's not done that way. It's not it's more than that, but it certainly gives the appearance of that. And that's why I wanted to go see it a second time cuz I kind of noticed I noticed long takes and stuff in the in the first viewing and uh but then after i sort of read about it after i realized that they did design it that way and um and yeah watching it a second time yeah it was it was incredible Hmm. and um yeah yeah okay so this this, it's a story about two young lance corporals in um, world war one who are um given an assignment that they have to cross no man's land, um, the German no man's land um, to get to this, um, this group of soldiers that's going to advance on the Germans because they think they got the Germans on the run. But in reality, the Germans have planned this all so that this group of soldiers is basically going into an ambush and are all going to get slaughtered, including the brother of one of the, Two that are sent on this mission and um from then it's just a forward moving constantly tense um just i i it was it's so fucking good man and i watched it like six days apart and the second time i was just as entranced as the first time hmm. and um like this op- there's an open the opening shot in this movie is like starts out under a tree and then backs up and goes into like the trenches of the war and they're just going fucking on and on and on. And I'm just like, how 
like, how did they build this set? Like, it's ridiculous. And, like, they literally dug, like, a mile of trenches so that the camera could follow these actors through all of this action and all of these soldiers that are, like, in there, like, doing different things. And it's it's incredible. And then, like, you know, they get to different areas in the movie and, you know, you're just kind of looking at it and you're like, how did the camera, like, do that like there's a scene where they kind of come across like it's like a little bit of a like a very small lake and the characters can go around the lake but the camera just keeps fucking going and Mm. i'm like like over the lake and i'm like they just showed me the lake (laughs) they haven't cut and this camera is just continuing across the lake it's i mean obviously i i know how they did it but just when you're in that you're just like how is this happening and just constantly in this movie i'm i was feeling that way like how did that they get that to happen and there's all kinds of crazy shit there's stuff like camera on a crane being moved to another crane being pulled off by grips who then start running with it who then attach it to a fucking car to chase the characters Hmm. like it's it's unbelievable so technically masterpiece as far as i'm concerned the dp was roger deakins who's obviously very famous won an oscar a few years ago for blade runner 2049 absolutely he should win the oscar there's no doubt in my mind um that would be a crime if he doesn't production designer uh dennis gassner um who's worked with mendes repeatedly as has uh, deakins um dennis gassner has also worked with coen brothers quite a bit again like just those trenches alone like i i feel like it was just it was it was incredible the music by thomas newman um who also worked with who's worked with mendes quite a bit particularly on the last few bond movies but he's done tons as well but very um um propelling music score um that really ratchets up the tension in a really good way um i i was um just very very taken by the music so this is one of these movies where just everything just comes together so well and um it's just and and the story is just really well done and you're really in it with these characters and they the acting is is they they you know i don't know if they should be up for oscars which they're not and i get it because it's more about this like there's a lot of style going on here but um just they I attra- I was attra- attached to both of them right away and uh you know as as we're going through the story I I felt you know I felt a lot of for them and what was going on and was really engaged in their plight um we had some um there were some big name actors in this who just kind of popped up for like small scenes which I also thought was really cool I mean Dean Charles Chapman and George McKay play the main guys and they're in the pretty much the whole movie um throughout and um um the uh, they're not really the, uh Chapman was in Game of Thrones uh George McKay I think his biggest role is like Captain Fantastic um so pretty much no names to the general public so they had to get some big names in this I think Mendes felt and the studio probably felt just to get people out to it which I think is is uh you know probably true like people wouldn't don't tend to go to things they don't know so we have like benedict cumberbatch shows up and uh mark strong from the kingsman movie shows up colin firth also from the kingsman movies um andrew scott who uh, played moriarty in uh, sherlock you know he shows up so there's some names and faces that you know but they're they're only there for like five minutes 
uh, or even shorter in some cases. But I, it's enough to, I think, it was kind of neat to see those guys show up in those roles. I thought that was pretty cool. And I, I do hope it's enough to get people out to this. Yeah, I really encourage people to see this movie in the theater in particular. Um, if it won Best Picture, I would not be surprised or saddened. I, I As much as I, I loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, don't get me wrong, I love it, I love it, love it. And it is right up my wheelhouse. Um, but just from a filmmaking point of view, I don't know if you can compare. Like, this is just so fucking good, man. So I'd encourage you to see it in the theater. And uh, yeah, I, I almost want to go again. Like, I really loved it. I think this is the one that, is going to be the favorite to win Best Picture, to be honest. Yeah. Like, it seems to be going that way. Well, when um, it won the Golden Globe, I was like, what the fuck? But <laughs> I was so mad. I, I, I remember seeing the trailer for this, like, well in advance of it coming out and being like, yeah, that looks pretty good. Yeah. Like, I never was, like, down on this movie. But I'm just like, when you got a year with, like, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Parasite... And Knives Out in the same year, how good can it be, right? And I'm like, and I've seen World War, is World War Two in this one? One. One. I mean, I've seen a similar story done by Spielberg with Saving Private Ryan, right? Where I'm like, same kind of thing, same kind of vibe. So I'm like, I'm curious, but I just didn't know anyone who had seen it up to that point. So I was kind of like, I don't know. I, I mean, I probably will end up going to it before the Oscars, just you should because I, I didn't like Saving Private Ryan. I wasn't, oh, see, and I, wasn't, I did. I wasn't a big fan. Um, I didn't like the. I didn't like the. I, I just didn't really. I, I didn't really buy into the the whole story there. Well, I just remember Saving Private Ryan the first hour where it was just the battle scene. Yeah, I was. It was just so jaw dropping at the time when that movie came out that like you you'd watch it and then it would finally go in towards the plot more. Yeah, and you'd be like, I've been watching this thing an hour already. And it literally felt like you just turned it on because it was just so enthralling, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I do try and get to see almost all of the uh, Oscar nominee movies that I'm even remotely interested in. So, I'll probably try and get to go see this in the next couple of weeks before the actual ceremony because I am interested in seeing it. Much more than I'm interested in seeing like Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah, like that movie was okay, but this one, I just, I was just so, like, oh, well, you know, I love one shot stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just so, like, I was just fucking blown away. Like, I was just watching and I'm just like, it was, because it's, it's just so rare now where I go to a movie and I'm like, how the fuck do they do that? Yeah. <laughs> like, I felt like that a lot in this movie. I'm like, how did they, how did that happen? Like, how did they get that shot? Like, it was crazy. So, and just the set design, like, it was just, so over the top. Well, like even some if, of the stuff. if I if I can't convince the other half to go see it, I'll just go see it maybe next Tuesday in a matinee or something. Yeah, it's um, definitely worth worth seeing okay. it. I because I, I do I do think it'll win. I mean, I think best director this year at the Oscars is going to be a tough race. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, man, I really loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood too, but I don't know, man. It's it's a tough call. If I had to redo my top five, like. I mean, the, those would be one and two for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think I think that I think Once Upon a Time would still be number one for me, but this would be a very 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 close second. I think that this has a better chance of Best Picture than Tarantino, to be honest. Yeah. But I I also feel like 
if you go by how the Oscars usually go for Tarantino, he'll get screenplay, and that's probably about it. And then Brad Pitt will probably get supporting. Yeah, and I and I, that that would make sense to me. Like yeah. screenplay, I think for sure yeah. Tarantino should get it because again, like the screenplay here, there wasn't a ton going on. Yeah, but DP, no question in my mind, like that that would be like robbery if Deacons didn't get it. Um, production design, I mean, Once Upon a Time was pretty great too, but yeah. but uh, I don't know, like this, just those trenches, man, like. I just, it was crazy. And, huh. and the music, you know, I think that too. Um, but uh, a picture, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of not sure. It seems to be picking up a lot of steam from other like Golden Globes and the uh, Directors Guild and all that stuff. Did like, it win Directors Guild? I think it did. Yeah, it just, it just, everything clicked so well. Yeah. Like everything just, especially production design, music, and, um, cinematography like they were all just so seamlessly woven together and editing of course i mean we anyone who knows movies knows that deacons is a great dp anyway yeah. it's like it's not there's no argument on that one like everybody who's into well, movies blade runner 2049 that. i didn't even like the movie but again the cinematography was just so well, noticeable <laughs> like, yeah we, we all know how yeah. great he is so yeah. i mean i wouldn't be surprised yeah who's gonna replace these guys it's just <laughs> I don't know. There, I, I mean, there was a lot of well shot, like a lot of good cinematography this year. Like I thought, Parasite had awesome cinematography. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Once Upon a Time, the cinematography was pretty solid too. Yeah. Maybe not as artistic as, like yeah. a lot of a fairly straightforward for the most part in a lot of ways. But you know, like I, I'm seeing things like this happening where I'm like. um you know, even in the smaller movies, like even with a movie like Moonlight from mm. a couple of years ago, the cinematography in that was really good. Like you're seeing, I'm seeing it in more indie kind of stuff. So mm. I'm hoping that can work its way up because, you know, they're they're still out there. They're still out there. I mean, yeah. it's, it's hard to get cinematography in a in a Marvel movie when it's all just CG. Let's be honest here. <laughs> yeah, it's really, um, it really actually made me always i was thinking a lot about marvel movies this week actually but uh just from that in that you just don't notice stuff like that in marvel movies yeah. and like the marvel movies i just feel like anyone could direct any of them well i've always said yeah that. it's just like so when you see something like this where it just has such a fucking stamp on it yeah i've got to give it major props right mm-hmm. so yeah i yeah, check it out. Well, maybe, maybe before we next time we record, I may have seen it because uh, I, I've kind of been thinking about it. So maybe I, uh, you've given me that extra push. Yeah, see in the theater, man. Yeah, well, I'm, yeah, I'm, that's my plan. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, it seems like the kind of movie you'd have to see on a on a screen. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> and don't read anything about it before you go. It's very important. Why? Well, I, I never yeah. usually do. I watch a trailer, and that's about it. Yeah. Um. Well, going from that, your number two movie of the 2019 now, (laughs) I'm going to go into a TV movie. (laughs) And it's a, uh, you know, I I like TV movies, but every once in a while, I don't like TV movies. And and this is one where I kind of don't like TV movies. (laughs) Uh, It's a movie from 1988. It's called Moving Target. Well, I decided if I'm going to watch Sitting Target, I might as well watch Moving Target. Uh, This is 
Directed by Chris Thompson, who's a TV vet. I think this is really... He hasn't really made any actual movies. Uh, the reason I watched this is that it stars Jason Bateman. Okay. As well as China Phillips. China Phillips? Yep. Like from Wilson from Phillips? From Wilson Phillips. <laughs> okay. And Tom Skerritt. Oh. From Alien, amongst other things. Yeah. Uh, so, basic premise of this movie is... Uh, I'm like, okay, well... I'm like, any 80s TV movie that opens with a close-up of keyboards and saxophone, can it be that bad? And I'm like, yeah, it probably can. <laughs> um, Jason Bateman's playing plays this teenager called Toby. And uh, he's kind of the... It's hard, They don't really say, like, he's, he's the manager of this band, his high school buddy's band. But I think he's also the keyboard player. But because he's being sent off to music camp for the summer... They're recruiting China Phillips to play keyboards in the band while he's gone. And the whole band members have that whole, oh, she's a girl. We don't want her in our band kind of thing going on, right? And then at the same time, there's a subplot with Tom Skerritt playing his dad, who's like, he's like this businessman. And early on in the movie, we like, we get this vague plotting about he might know something, but nobody knows what it is. And he, he's out at dinner one day and he gets dragged away by the justice department because he knows something to indict someone. And it's so sketchy that as an audience member, you're like, I'm not quite sure why he's being dragged away by the justice department. Right. Cause they haven't really told us why. So, you know, we've got, we've got that happening. We've got, you know, uh, Bateman going to band camp and there being this like stupid comedy about, Oh, look at all these nerds at band camp. I'm too cool for this. I got a band and like, you know, Megan China Phillips character. I kind of like her and I want to spend summer with her too. So he's like, you know, they're playing these for chuckles and then he sneaks off. Like he's a convict from this band camp. Like if you go to camp and you don't want to be at camp, you can fucking leave. (laughs) You could be like, mom, dad, come get me. Yeah. I'm done at camp. Instead on this one, he friggin' like hides on top of a delivery van like he's a fucking convict escaping from prison <laughs> to leave band camp. Oh like like he's literally clinging to the top of the friggin' van flat on his stomach. Why? <laughs> like to to leave band but camp because he doesn't want he doesn't want to be with China Phillips anymore. No, she's not at band camp. She's back home. Oh, she's back home. He just doesn't want them to know he's sneaking out of band camp, I guess. <laughs> but then he ends up coming home. And he comes home and his house is empty and his family is gone. Oh. And he's not quite sure why. They're a moving target. Because they're a moving target. (laughs) So from there, it becomes kind of a movie about him trying to find out where his family is. And meanwhile, he's being kind of tracked down by FBI guys who want, obviously, to tell him where his family is. But he's so dumb, he just keeps going. And a hitman played by... Jack Wagner. What? Soap opera star Jack <laughs> Wagner from, I think he's on General Hospital. He was on General Hospital. Among other things. That was after the Luke and Laura days, though. And in this movie, <laughs> he's all Miami viced up. Oh. So he's got like the cool leisure suits with the bright shirts, and he's got the mullet, and he's got the cool Corvette type car. And so he's always trying to like befriend Toby's buddies. It's like, well, go for a drive in my car. But really, he's a hitman who's who's trying to hunt down not only Toby, but also find out where his family is because he works for the crime boss and wants to kill the family too. Oh. And I'm like, Jack Wagner is a 
assassin he had that hit song all i need remember that yeah all i need yeah oh god but i'm just like really he's he's a hitman <laughs> um and then it's just like it's just like a completely bland teen thriller and you know he doesn't really seem to try that hard to find his family if i'm being honest here and you know there's like this super unexciting scene with him trying to steal a realtor's briefcase and zooming off on a scooter at five miles an hour. Where I'm like, well, that looks like one dangerous fucking stunt right there that just happened. <laughs> and it's it's just not not great. It's just so bland, dude. I'm like watching it. I'm like, oh, God, is this going to end soon? It's, there's nothing happening. I mean, you put Tom Skerritt in it for like two minutes. And then you got Jack Wagner like popping up with a machine gun. I'd watch gun. this for Jack Wagner and try to fill up. It's not going to lie. Well, he's popping up with a machine gun every <laughs> once in a while. I'm like, Jack Wagner with a machine gun? It's just like, like he's amusing because it's so out of character for yeah. what I'd picture him doing. But it's just like a really weak, weak, weak teen thriller. And uh, the only other thing I want to mention about it is it's written by Andy Tennant. And this is a guy who would go on to direct many a bad romantic comedy including such classics as Sweet Home Alabama with Reese Witherspoon oh, yeah. and Hitch with Will Smith oh. and that guy from King of Queens. What's that guy's name? Kevin. Uh, Kevin James. Yeah. So, yeah, that's your quality level of moving target right here. So how was China Phillips? Okay, for like I'm the blonde girl who Jason Bateman hits on once in a while. I can't believe she was in a movie. She's been in more than one movie. Really? Oh, yeah. She just seems like such a... Like, she almost doesn't seem human to me. Well, this movie came out... With that big mouth in the Hold On video. Well, this movie came... Doesn't she... Yeah, like... This came out before Wilson Phillips were a hit. Oh. Not that that the mouth was... But she just... That's all I think about. (laughs) She really sang, like, open that mouth wide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? No. Am I being weird? I, I... I can't say I watch Wilson Phillips videos all the time, dude. I don't know. But no, she's okay. Like, she's just like, she's just a love interest. Like, yeah, sorry. I, that wasn't, I'm not dissing her looks at all. No, no, no. I'm just. It was just like, um, yeah. She's just like that California girl love interest. She doesn't really have any purpose to look concerned about Toby's situation once in a while. Huh. But she's one hell of a keyboard player. <laughs> <laughs> According to that, OBC. I need to see it. I'm just like, I I'm need like, to see. Where did you see this? Uh, it's on the. I watched my MGM on demand DVD of this. What? Yeah, dude. Why do you have an MGM on demand DVD of this? Because I found it at a thrift store. Really? It came out from MGM in a regular release, <laughs> and then once it went out of print, it went into the. On demand realm. Oh my god! You know, I've people never can't even get heard enough of, of Jason Bateman and Jack <laughs> Wagner, and apparently China Phillips' big giant gaping mouth. <laughs> but, uh, it's not. That sounded terrible. <laughs> and like, no, she's very attractive. It's just, it's. I can't describe it. You don't. You don't have to. Just we'll we'll have to watch some Wilson Phillips music. Like it, it was a big like it was like it was like she could turn into like fucking Diane from V or something and like <laughs> eat a fucking rabbit or something. <laughs> uh, but I'm, not I'm in sure, a bad way. I'm sure China Phillips has never thought of that before. Hey man, maybe I'll just unhinge my jaw right now and stuff a rabbit down there or something. 
Jason Bateman could watch because fuck, he doesn't seem to care where his mom and dad are <laughs> and his brother. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty skippable at best. I, I'll lend it to you and. If you really want to, I'm trying to sell it on eBay right now. That's why it's the one. Oh, are you really? Yeah. Oh that's shit! A, I gotta I borrow do. that. Yeah, I'll, I'll lend it to you. I think she just really overdid it in the <laughs> lip syncing, like really overemphasized, like in the videos and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could be. But anyway, that's moving target from. Gonna have to analyze this. Nineteen eighty-eight. Jeez. <laughs> Okay, then. Hmm, where do we go from here? Hold off one more time. <laughs> Trying to put my mouth as wide as I can. Yeah, it was. It's, that's all I think about when I think of her. Could be worse, I suppose. Oh, fuck. Okay, let's fucking get this over with. Get okay. the Hellraiser out of the way. Come on. <laughs> all right. Hellraiser. <laughs> fuck <laughs> hell hellraiser revelations is this the one the first non-doug bradley one yes oh, okay yeah i'm waiting to hear about this i've heard bad things about this one <sighs> okay i'm just trying <laughs> to put my thoughts together here he's having a heavy sigh before he's even said anything that tells me something okay so this is from 2011 directed by victor garcia okay um, he did a movie called The Damned that I got from Dollarama, starring, <laughs> starring Peter Facinelli. How apt. Which I actually liked. I didn't oh, really? mind that movie at all. I thought it was pretty good. Have you talked about it on the show? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, okay, I know that, you know, and I always, whenever I see Victor Garcia, I think of the other Victor, you know, the pedophile. <laughs> What's that guy's name? I don't know. The Jeepers Creepers guy. Oh, Victor Salva. Victor Salva. Okay. And I'm like, oh, no, it's not the pedophile. It's this guy, the fucking damned guy. Yeah. So the damned was decent. So I'm, I'm, like, I'm sure everybody, I'm sure Victor Salva's really happy about all you people buying Jeepers Creepers on the Scream Factory Blu-rays. Thanks for supporting a pedophile. <laughs> Ding! Well, you know, he was convicted as the pedophile before the first Jeepers Creepers was even I made. I know, and, and I guess uh, Francis Ford Coppola was like, okay, I'll, I'll put presents above your movie when it comes Yeah, out. so why is it such a thing now? I don't understand. Anyway, I, anyway they're we digress. <laughs> when don't we? Back to Victor Garcia. Okay, so this one, um, let me see here. Okay, so it was a rushed production. It was... They wanted to keep the rights. I think it was... <laughs> That's so what from was. what I understand, they want to keep the rights. Yeah, it was it was to keep the rights. From what I understand, the schedule for this movie was three weeks, and from conception to finale, or just shooting. According to IMDb, that included an eleven day shooting schedule. Eleven days, and I'm like, how <laughs> did that happen? I'm like, oh well, that explains the well, seventy five. I heard it was just a two room movie, so that's probably how it happened. That's true. It's true. But it explains the 75-minute running time as well, which was mm. merciful. Um, <laughs> That's the only good thing about it is that it's 75 minutes long. Okay. So it opens with found footage. And I'm like, oh, oh no, it's oh. a found footage Hellraiser movie? I'm like, okay, well, at least it's something different. At least I'm, you know, and then I'm like, well, they were all kind of different, but like in their own little ways. But I'm like, okay, but this is feels a little more modern or some shit. But it had two super, super annoying characters. These teens that were like off to Tijuana to get laid or whatever and um, and get drunk and party it up in Tijuana. One of them is played by Jay Gillespie, who plays Nico. 
Um, and he was in 2001 Maniacs. And the other one is played by Nick Eversman, who plays Steven. So they go off there and then something happens um, where something happens to them there. Um, I'm just not sure if I should be spoilery here Fucking or not. do it. Who cares? <laughs> okay, something happens to them there. Basically, Nico um, has sex with a hooker in a bathroom in a club and, ends up, and she ends up dying. And then they're kind of in a situation. And then, you know, the fucking lament, lament configuration shows up and and before you know it, you know, one of them's missing their skin, blah, blah, pinheads there, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, this is all kind of backstory. The mom, Stephen's mom keeps looking at the video camera footage where this was all captured because Nico and Stephen never returned home. Like something happened to them down there and all this left is the video camera. So... Um, you know, through flashbacks and all that bullshit, we learn that Pinhead was involved, and um, it is a different Pinhead. It's a guy named Stephen Smith Collins, and I wrote Stephen Smith Collins, Pinhead, poor guy, because it, you know, as much as I ripped on Doug Pat, Doug Bradley's or Pinhead in the last number of Hellraiser movies, Doug Bradley was pretty. He was Pinhead, right? At least I kind of knew what I was getting, and he he was good i just think he was never really given much to do i thought the character was lame but i thought doug bradley did a really good job so it was a bit jarring to see someone else and be kind of wanting doug bradley i get it but this poor guy i mean like what a fucking those are pretty big shoes to fill as much as the this franchise has sucked balls um (laughs) doug bradley was not to blame and um and he he is a horror icon so i mean Big shoes to fill. It would be like, it looks like someone filling. Well, it's Rob- like Jackie O'Haley trying to be Robert exactly, Englund. In exactly. Nightmare on Elm Street remake. It's, it's tough, tough shoes to fill. So I, I felt for this guy. So I'm not going to rip on him. He he did fine for what he had to do. I mean, it's it would be I tough. I he was just like a pudgy pinhead who walked back and forth in a room for the yeah, whole movie. I don't want to comment on that. I mean, whatever. I just thought he, I heard he just paces a room for the entire movie. He does. And then there's like the, the other, the but, but. Okay, here's the thing. So as the as the plot, plot starts going, we um, Stephen eventually ends up showing back up at, at the house. So his parents are there, his sisters there, and the Nico's family, Nico's parents are also at the house, and they're having like a dinner get together, and they're you know they're they're having a difficult time like talking about their missing kids and stuff, and then Stephen shows up out of nowhere. And um, and then the plot kind of goes from there. And, um, you know, weird shit's happening. Like, Steven's trying to, like, make out with his sister. And um, and he's, you know, he's all, you know, confused and stuff. And uh, um, But he's being kind of weird. And I, I don't, I'm not going to spoil everything about it. But I was actually pretty into this, to be honest. Like, I was actually like, oh, I'm actually not super bored here and I'm actually following what's going on, which has been different from like the last seven of these movies. <laughs> so I was actually like pleasantly surprised that I was able to follow the plot and was, you know, not super engaged. I mean, this is low budget, cheap, um, rushed. And I saw that, but I mean, I've seen a bazillion low budget horror movies. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be shitty. I mean, I'm not going to run back and watch this again, but I, I, I think this is not as bad as people kind of say it is some of the other ones particularly the last one is way hell world's way worse than this thing 
but this is it's not good either right like don't get me wrong but i'm you know the bar is fucking low right now (laughs) (laughs) really low what what is this part eight uh no i think it's like nine nine okay but i've talked about like kind of the hellraiser roller coaster Yeah, yeah, yeah the last the last movie was the lowest dip that we've mm. gotten to so far. So now I think we're on a, another one of You're the little... You're starting to go up the hill a, a little bit, bit? A little bit up again, but not that, not that far. We're still on those little bumps at the end. Huh. Um, now, the thing I will say about this movie, the, I'll say a few good things about it. It's really gory. So way gorier than I've seen in a long time. So makeup effects-wise, I was like, oh, there's some pretty interesting shit going on here. And, you know, I love practical effects. I... I'm not a gore hound, but I do like seeing a good gag when when I when I can. So there were a few moments in here where I was like, "Wow, I wasn't expecting that." So I give it that. Um, I I liked how Pinhead was in like the that whole thing was intertwined throughout the plot, which is also something we've been missing from like the last five entries in the series. The last five are pretty much the last one a little bit. But we've been missing Pinhead. We've been missing kind of the first movie a lot. And this one does go back to that. It goes back to, um, you know, characters that are um, tormented by Pinhead and the Cenobites. Characters needing to get blood to um, reanimate, you know, like put themselves Mm -hmm. back together. Like Frank in the first movie. We got a bit of that. So it was it was nice to see some of the stuff that I liked from the original Hellraiser, even though on a way shittier level. But it was nice to see some of that stuff coming back. Like This is the first one, maybe other than two or maybe three, where I've actually felt like I was in the Hellraiser franchise again. So I will say that from that perspective, I thought this wasn't that bad. This one gets a terrible, terrible rap, but... Man, that fucking hell world was like by far like hmm. you can't even compare how shitty that movie was. Like how you could possibly say this is worse than that is beyond me. So, but I still think stop it. <laughs> stop at the first one. Maybe watch three if you want. But man, you don't you don't need to go this far down. But but this one's not as bad. Yeah, as but there's still going to be those people, man. There's still going to be those people. Dear assholes, thank you for spoiling the plot for Hellraiser 9 for I me. I didn't really spoil it, though. <laughs> I didn't really spoil it. All I said is was it had aspects of the original. Yeah, yeah. Um, it has, like, chatterers back, but it's a it's a female chatterer. <laughs> and, you know, again, like, I I kind of am, like, weirdly attracted to Cenobites. <laughs> and I don't know what's up with that. <laughs> wow. No, female Cenobite in one and two yeah I'm all over that shit and uh, yeah there was that the one in I think four I was like oh well well, you know if China Phillips can get her mouth open that wide maybe she could play a Cenobite (laughs) the lesbian bondage Cenobites in four or five or wherever the fuck and now we've got a female chatterer and I was like hmm so I don't (laughs) I don't know if I just immediately got myself sent to hell by saying that but but if it's full of female Cenobites maybe it wouldn't be that bad not that I want to no I don't want to go there Jesus okay it's best to stop talking right now Uh, do I have to, to say anything else about this? Quite gory, uh, broken family. Oh, I didn't like the guy that played Stephen at all. He was super annoying. Um, any a uh, uh, couple of actors that were in this? Tracy Faraway, um, who played Stephen's sister, she was uh, one of the leads in that movie Patchwork that you really liked. Oh yeah, I really liked that yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was in this. 
Um, Steven's dad was played by Steven Brand, who um, was, I think, the villain in The Scorpion King. And also was more, more recently, he's in that Mayhem movie with Stephen oh, Ewan yeah, okay, okay. Um, by Joe, uh, Joe Lynch. Joe Lynch, and I think he plays the boss character. Okay. So third billing. So uh, he's you know had some. Yeah, I have Mayhem. I'm interested because it's also Samara Weaving's the female lead, and yeah, she, she was, was really, really good. good and Ready or Not last year. So yeah, and she was really good in the Babysitter as well. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, I'm. I don't know, man. I mean, uh, if you're if you're already this far in to the series, like I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But this was not not as that was kind of like me when I was like watch that Children of the Corn one that was set in the apartment building. Yeah, I was like, well, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I'm just so... you can't get much lower than Children of the Corn six six six. Yeah, <laughs> but I think I think people were so focused on the new pinhead. Yeah, I think so. That they couldn't get past that, right? I think so. And I didn't really care that much. I was just like, whatever. Doug Bradley left. They got a new guy. He's not Doug Bradley, but I wasn't like, fuck him, this movie, fuck, you know, like a lot of people. Is it a different actor for Judgment? I don't know. Hmm. That's only one left, right? Yeah. (laughs) You're almost there. I know, man. One more. You're almost there until they remake it. I actually almost watched... Judgment just to get it over with. But then I, then I was like, but then you won't have people be like, "What pinhead movies next?" I have to wait till next episode. Oh, I've got all kinds of franchises to look oh, at. Oh Jesus! Oh man, I don't even know which one I'm going to start next. Oh, I'm not starting one with like ten movies next time. <laughs> Uh, it's just it's, think what a service man like what a service i was we thinking provide. maybe the i was thinking maybe keep it on the dimension train and maybe do prophecy next oh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm not watching a shitty franchise next i'll tell yeah, you okay much. fine but i mean like how many podcasts have gone through the entire children of the Corp franchise and the entire hellraiser franchise and lake placid <laughs> and uh, police academy <laughs> yes and <laughs> I've got another Lake Placid movie I gotta watch. Oh, I thought you were finished. No, I haven't watched that new one yet. Oh, Legacy or whatever yeah, it's called. Yeah. Oh, fun. I maybe have it though. Maybe you should watch that for next time. Coming soon. Oh, I don't know if I want to do two. Hey, didn't just... you also? Didn't you also now officially watch all the badass movies too? I have watched all. The... Look at the service <laughs> that we're providing for you right now. Look at this. Think of the countless hours that we've tortured our brains for you. Don't say we do nothing for you. No. Yeah. No. Please don't. But Think of those. Count- I don't know if we can get worse than the Hellraiser and Children of the Corn franchises, though. Witchcraft. No, the witchcrafts always least, had something uh, at least good. They boobs, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. they all had boobs. <laughs> wow, well, no, that's sad. But, that's but the only thing. That being we're like, at our age now, like we saw them when we were teenagers or yeah, whatever. Yeah. I don't know how good they're gonna be now. I think they'd be pretty terrible, dude. <laughs> I'm sure. All but right. two, the temptress had Julie Strain. That's true. Okay. Yeah. And I remember the and first, Shepherd. And I remember the first <laughs> one was more of a real horror movie, and then it was the sequels <laughs> that they started to become what they were. Yeah. I wonder how far they got. I think they were up to 16 or something. Really? really? I think so. Huh. I know I have the first one on like my PlayStation 3. On, really? Yeah, because like in my PS Store library, I have Witchcraft 1 <laughs> because Troma put it out. <laughs> so I like bought it for like a dollar or something, like nice. digitally. So maybe I'll watch it eventually. Yeah. That and Plutonium Baby. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Witchcraft. That would that would be awful. That's like half a year, man. <sighs> okay. Anyway, moving on. What okay, was that? So one? that was Hellraiser Revelations. All right. Well, <clears throat> I'm going to continue my Warner Archive viewing. All right. And this is a movie that I know you like. Okay. And that's a movie from 1984 called Reckless. Yes, I do. Yes. So this is a uh, written by Chris Columbus. Yeah. Who wrote one of my favorite movies of all time called Gremlins. Yeah. As well as directing a movie called Home Alone and yep. Mrs. Doubtfire. And I believe he also wrote The Goonies, if I'm correct. A movie I do not like. Yeah. Um, he wrote this, uh, directed by James Foley, who would go on to direct a couple of the Fifty Shades of Grey movies, I believe. But he also made... Uh, what else did he make? I think I wrote it down. Maybe not. So anyway, uh, first thing off the bat, this movie is stacked when it comes to cast. <laughs> For like 80s teen cast, this movie is fucking stacked. Yeah. So in the leads, we've got Daryl Hannah. Yeah. Before Splash. Yeah. We've got Aiden Quinn in his film debut. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they're the leads, but also on hand... We've got Jennifer Grey from Dirty Dancing. We have got Adam Baldwin from 315. Yeah. And uh, My Bodyguard. Yeah. We have got Pamela Springsteen, better known as Angela in Sleepaway Camp 2 and 3. We have got, who else is in this movie? Cliff DeYoung. Yeah. As the uh, asshole gym coach at yeah. the high school. Yeah. It's a pretty... Kenneth McMillan cast. Hmm? Kenneth McMillan. Yep. Kenneth McMillan's in this as uh, Aiden Quinn's dad. Yeah, he's fucking awesome. So in this. it's yeah. it's got a stacked cast. Yeah, and uh, came out the same year or the year after the Tom Cruise Leah Thompson movie All the Right Moves. Yeah, which I found a lot of parallels actually in Reckless to that movie, just from the fact that it is set in a one of those oppressive steel factory type towns. Yeah, like the opening scene is. Aiden Quinn's character swigging a beer on top of this like oh, yeah. platform on his motorbike, looking over at the smokestacks, belching all the smoke out. Like this is like James Foley's like, I'm going to make like an expressionist film, but it's a teen film. I'm going to stage it to look like all dank, like an industrial German film. That's what he's going for. <laughs> it feels like in a way. So, so he plays the rebel guy. And then we have Daryl Hannah playing Gracie, who is like what she's in that the popular girls at high school. And uh, this being the kind of movie it is, they obviously end up kind of having a love hate relationship through the whole movie and eventually, you know, falling for each other or whatever. That's what these movies are. But it also is about, you know, Aiden Quinn kind of dealing with the fact that because he's this rebellious type, no one takes him seriously. And his dad's a raging alcoholic who's causing all this trouble for him. And you've got Daryl Hannah, who her parents think she's perfect and think and say you could do whatever she wants. But she's kind of rebelling against that because she's like, I don't just want to be known as the pretty girl who just can do whatever she wants. I want to, you know, do bad things and stuff. So it's kind of that's basically all the movies about really is this. You know, one side of the tracks, the other side of the tracks, romance thing going on. And, uh, you know, and it it's, uh, like I said, another parallel to All the Right Moves is that Aiden Quinn's character plays for the football team. Right. And has this, like, he could be, he's considered, I think he's considered to be, like, the star of the team. 
But then because he has all this stuff going on, the coach just kind of kicks him off the team. It's like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Or whatever, and he treats him like dirt through the whole movie. So I'm like, okay, we got this going on. Uh, first thing I noticed was that Aiden Quinn, even though it's his film debut, he looks slightly too old to be in high school in this movie. He, lo- he looks yeah, he looks like he's probably about 28 yeah. in this movie. So I was like, okay, well, I, you know, I've forgiven this in Porky as I can forgive it in and Reckless. Up the creek. Um, <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, the stuff with his dad's drinking problem and the coach being a jerk, a little bit melodramatic at times. And a little bit like, you know... Yeah, but I thought his is the dad stuff. I thought Kenneth McMillan was great. He was good. And it was rough. Like, it just... It always struck me. Like, it just seemed a lot rougher than a lot of the depictions of well, this but we he, see. The thing is, though, the thing is... The thing I liked about it is that he was an alcoholic. But he wasn't really, like, super abusive to Aiden Quinn's character. Like, he never hit him. Or anything like that. Like, there's the one altercation where Aiden Quinn's character comes home. The dad's drunk. He has, like, a floozy with him, basically. Oh, yeah. And Aiden Quinn's like, what the fuck are you doing, dad? Like, you should be going to work and stuff. And he's like, well, if you don't like it, this is my girlfriend. You know, this is my girlfriend. He's like, you're drunk. You need to settle down. He's like, get the fuck out of my house, basically, right? Yeah. (coughs) Excuse me. But there's so there's that stuff. But he wasn't walking around like beating the shit out of the no. character. So yeah. I, I liked that part. Yeah. That yeah. part of it. Because I was like. It just know, seemed hopeless, right? Like that's. Yeah. What... Like how many of these like movies with alcoholic dads beating them up? Yeah. Did we really need? Like. Yeah. At least it didn't go that way. But it just. It felt like. Like I liked this movie fine. But I did have a few problems with it. And I'm going to get into it. Um, first of all, I'll get to talk about the good things in this movie. The first good thing is there's a really fucking awesome sequence set at the school dance. Okay, good. Where they play <laughs> where they play Never Say Never by yeah. Romeo Void and Daryl Hannah and Aiden Quinn's character dance oh, and the yeah. camera's spinning around them. Fucking awesome. Yeah. That scene is worth the price of admission alone to this movie. Yeah. Like really, really great. Yeah. And the fact that I love Romeo Void doesn't hurt things. Yeah. Like I really think they're an underrated new wave band. Yeah. Like I really do. So I really like that stuff. I liked the stuff with the dad, like you said. Obviously, if I was your, if I would have seen this when it first came out, I obviously would have enjoyed the lengthy sex scene in the boiler room of the high school where Daryl Hannah is naked for quite a long time. Not saying I didn't like it now, but I probably would have liked it a lot more when I was younger. And they so. strip by the pool, the kids in America. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. No, they don't actually strip strip till they're in that boiler room, though. They just get down to their underwear yes. to kids in America. They're stripping. Again, good soundtrack to this movie. Um so I really liked that. I thought it was well shot. Yeah. Like extremely well shot. Like I think Foley does like he is. He's going for like a more artistic movie than an 80s teen movie it felt like to me at times. Uh, so th- all that stuff I really liked. I thought Hannah was fine before she hit her stride with Splash, obviously, the, the same year. And I thought Quinn, while well, a little bit looking a little bit too old, I thought he was okay too. Like yeah. I thought the cast generally was fine. Yeah. So, I mean, that's all the stuff that I liked about the movie. But now we'll talk about the stuff I'm kind of eh on. Um, I felt that the parents were pushovers for the most part in this entire movie. Like her they, parents. Like her parents. Yeah. They just didn't. They were just absent. And I was like, well, if you're trying to make a message of her 
rebelling against her parents. Maybe she'd have more than one scene. Right. Yeah. Of the yeah. mom okay. coming and being like, I trust you. We're going away for the weekend. Yeah. You know, I think they should have had more of that. Um, I found that um, a lot of times I didn't buy the relationship between those two because for the most part, they were super volatile towards each other. Like they went from like, I hate your fucking guts to making out basically. Well, I've I mean, had I a relationship ca- like that when I was in high school. I know, but I, <laughs> I, I, I kind of got it. But at the same time, I'm like, well, maybe they could have softened it just a little bit. Because it would really seem like they hated each other. Like, there could be dislike for each other, and then they learn to like each other. Fine. But they really, really seem to hate each That's other true. at times. Yeah, okay. Like, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Like, if they would have had been at odds with each other, yeah, you're from different sides of the track. Sure. But it really seemed like they hated yeah. each other at times. Um, so I, I kind of had that hard to buy that at times. Um I thought that Quinn's character had way too much shitty luck. Also, I think that was a little bit overdone. Yeah. Because it seemed like he couldn't kind of catch a break. But it, it's like, sure, some peop- sometimes things go bad when you live in a crappy town. But this many things going bad for him in a row, I was like, no, it's a little bit cliched. Yeah, it does get a little over the top. It's a little bit yeah. cliched and over the, over the top. So, like, I thought the script could have been better. Yeah. Admittedly. Um, I did want a bit more conflict between like uh, Adam Baldwin's character and Aiden Quinn's character because you know he's Daryl Hannah's boyfriend okay I was trying to remember who he was yeah like he's her boyfriend and they don't really have that much conflict between each other like Baldwin like when they're dancing at the to Romeo Void he's just kind of like what's going on and he kind of butts his way in but like he's a fucking stupid boyfriend if he can't see what's going on (laughs) and he doesn't like really seem to he seems to just drop off in the second half of the movie and have yeah. no real importance so I it's kind of iffy on that and I I, I kind of wanted more of the high school stuff to be honest yeah like they had all these great teen actors in this like they had Jennifer Grey and Pamela Springsteen and they were you know their scenes where they're at the at the bowling alley or wherever they were that stuff was fun so I wanted a little bit more of that right. rather than cut back the teen romance stuff a tiny bit Give yeah. me some more high school stuff. I was kind of hoping for that a bit more. Um, but apart from that, I, I think it's a perfectly fine teen drama. Yeah. I think it's got some a lot more positives than it does negatives. I didn't dislike watching it. I had some fun with it. And, uh, you know, that dance scene, man. Worth the, the price of admission awesome. alone. Yeah. Um, the only last thing I want to say is the box artwork isn't actually in the movie. <laughs> That's true. So just so you know, it is the pool scene that they show on the box artwork. And it's got Daryl Hannah's character in a wet t-shirt reaching up to grab Aiden Quinn's character to kiss him. Where in reality in the movie, he's in the pool. She's out of the pool and he reaches up to kiss her. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So and she's also not wearing a wet t-shirt. She's in her bra and panties. All right. Well, that's so. very fucking nitpicky. I'm not nitpicking. <laughs> I'm just saying it's not. The, it's not. It's not affecting my enjoyment of the movie, Josh. I'm just pointing it out. But yeah, it's a, it, for what it is, perfectly, perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can get it for ten bucks from Warner Archive. Like I said, worth it for that dancing. Is that a DVD? Yeah. DVD. Yeah. 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 That dancing, I can't. St- 
I can't stress how uh, how great that dance scene is. Yeah. And I mean, and there is stuff wedged around it that I did like. It's just I wish they would have focused. They would have maybe had a better script. Yeah, I mean, it was on my underrated list. And I just, I just felt like my thing with this movie is it just felt different from like the John Hughes movies. Well, yeah, it was like, a it little felt bit different than those other ones. It did, but it, it's like I said, we talked about all the right moves. Yeah, from '83. That's true. Yeah, and it feels a lot like all the right moves. So maybe it's not really quite that different. Yeah, I gotta because, watch that one again because I had seen all the right moves maybe like a couple years ago, so it yeah. was kind of still fresh. And I was yeah. like, oh, this is kind of like all the right moves right now. Ah. so yeah, but like I said, reckless. It's worth seeking out if you're into those '80s. Teen yeah. dramas for sure. Yeah. And if you want to see Daryl Hannah naked. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, I know you've seen this one. I'll, I'll, I got to double up at some point, don't I? Yeah, you do. Yeah, okay. We'll do that now. Okay. So the first one here is um, I know one you've seen because I got it out of your reject <laughs> out pile. Out of my cast off pile. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see what you thought of this one, but it's a movie called Untraceable. From 2008. That's all right. Directed by, yeah. Directed pretty, by. Pretty decent. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Directed by Gregory Hoblet. Um, Didn't he who, do Fallen? He did Fallen and he did uh, Primal Fear. Oh, that's a pretty good movie, Primal yeah. Fear. And I don't know why I wrote that. Anyway. Primal um, Fear is the one with Richard Gere and Edward Norton. Yeah, I've never seen that That's movie. pretty good. Yeah. It's better than Fallen. Is it? Yeah, I yeah. like Fallen. Fallen's actually the weakest of the three movies you're talking about right now. Yeah, okay. Um, so this stars Diane Lane as an FBI agent named Jennifer Marsh. She works in the um, Cyber Crimes Division. And um, she comes across this website called, like, Watch Me Kill or something like that. Yeah, something along those lines. Yeah. I can't remember what it was. Sorry. and um, But it's, it's this, this dude has, like... It's a pretty fucked up beginning, actually. So this it opens with this guy putting down a glue trap, like a large glue trap, and stapling it to the floor, and then putting a um, a bowl of milk on one side, and then letting a pet cat out. Mm-hmm. So the cat goes onto the glue trap and then slowly dies. And it's all live streamed on this Watch Me Kill or whatever it's called website. And Diane Lane comes across this site and it's fucked up, right? Because it's like this animal cruelty. But what she notices is that people are watch like people are like watching, like logging in to watch this. So she sort of makes it her mission to figure out who's behind the site. Things ramp up considerably when a human is the next target for this website. And uh, it's revealed when the human is kidnapped and placed in front of the camera that um, the more people that log onto the website, the faster the human will die. So the first victim, it's um, he's basically um, cut with a, like a straight razor. So he's starting to bleed. But then he's hooked up to a machine that's pumping him full of anticoagulants. So he will just continue to bleed out. Mm. And the more people that watch, the more anticoagulant is released. Therefore, the quicker the guy dies. And so they they realize that more <laughs> that people are watching at an alarming rate. And then as as the the killer gets more victims, um, this is amping up even further. And it's uh, I mean, it's obviously trying to be a. Um, commentary on our society mm-hmm. and our, you know, our, our, um, 
you know, morals and, you know, would we would we watch a site like this? And and unfortunately, <laughs> I think if something like this actually happened, this I think the way this movie plays out would kind of be the way it would play out. I think you would have more and more people going to mm-hmm. check that out. And even though they knew what was going to happen if they did that, you know, and, and it's a it's a pretty crazy premise when you think about it. And I, I, I liked it a lot just for that. I always like these unique premises. And even though so this was kind of bizarre because it was kind of like, like trying to like almost rally against what it was doing itself, you know, like mm. it was showing like all this fucked up stuff, which it was trying to say was bad, but it's like, but that's what you're making. So it's kind of funny that way. But I do like, I do like interesting premises and I can't say I've seen a movie with this kind of premise before. So I thought that was really neat. I thought the, um, the deaths were pretty interesting. There was, you know, one involving the blood coagulants, as I mentioned, there's some one involving heat, heat lamps. There's one involving, um, hydrochloric acid. Um, and there's one involving a cultivating machine, which um, I thought was kind of neat. Um, I thought the film had an interesting look to it. It had kind of a, uh, yeah, kind of that kind of bluish tint, but kind of, it had a bit of a gritty look. I like Diane Lane. Like I, you know, you don't see enough roles like this where it's, you know, an older woman in a lead, like kicking ass. And um, this was way ahead of its time for that. And uh, especially in the late two thousands, it would usually be like, the it girl that's like you know 24 at the time whereas diane lane was quite a bit older i think be like sandra bullock yeah yeah something like that yeah or even younger right yeah it would be like a jessica alba or something yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um um some some other good cast members billy burke i i know i've seen him around but um he really stood out in this movie he plays a detective um, he was in like Drive Angry, and he was in some of the Twilight movies. Um, but I thought he really stood out in this. I thought he was great as the detective. Colin Hanks, um, uh, Tom's kid, uh, played um, one of Diane Lane's coworkers. I thought Joseph Cross as the um, killer was really good as well. Um, my only kind of gripe with this movie is that it just felt super pro cop, and yeah. it was also there was some some mentions of net neutrality in this that um um and how it was a opposed to net neutrality that concerned me as well because obviously there's been there was a lot of talk about net neutrality when trump came in because that would be um you know forcing the internet to be uh regulated to a degree and and allowing companies to charge more whereas you know the way the internet's been for all of us is kind of free and clear and I mean, I get the argument here, but it's certainly not something we want. Um, but I did feel like this was kind of a conservative net neutrality message that was trying to be pushed ahead. I don't know if that's what Hoblet was going for, but it certainly came across that way a bit. That would be my only gripe. But I thought this was a pretty solid little thriller yeah. that I would not really have even thought about had you not left it here. Now, Diane Lane is usually pretty reliable. Like, I, I don't think I've seen a bad movie with her. Like, she's... Pretty, yeah, pretty fucking good and she picks interesting roles and she doesn't really give a shit either like i think she she's not one that i think is super concerned with her looks i mean even though she's gorgeous but she's i don't think she's worried about it like she wasn't like all made up in this movie she was it was a bit of a um you know she was like a uh 
uh, FBI agent who works graveyard shifts. I mean, and looked it right. And I, I kind of admire that. And yeah, it was, I was, this was a pleasant little surprise. I mean, I'm not going to run out and buy the Blu-ray. Don't get me wrong, but I, it was a good little like 90 yeah, no, minutes. It's, it's a completely solid. Yeah. Entertaining movie. Yeah. Like and, I, I th- I think the same thing. I, I like it. I thought it was fine. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm, I agree with you on what you said. It's yeah. Pretty solid little late, 2000s thriller because a lot of the late 2000s thrillers weren't that great to be honest and I mean like yeah. Lane being in it too I mean I'll pretty much watch anything she's in too yeah and like the late 2000s thrillers like they were there was just so many of them and yeah. they were all kind of the same and it was it's nice to see something that kind of stood out and if you so if you like thrillers cop movies like that kind of thing I thought it was pretty good yeah yeah, yeah good no, I agree with you yeah good little flick so untraceable um, next, I'm just going to talk about a newer documentary I saw that um, I thought was pretty good on, uh, I think I saw it on Netflix. Um, it's called Hail Satan. Yeah, from that's on Netflix. 2019. I want to see this too. Yeah, directed by Penny Lane. And this is about um, the Satanic Temple. Um, so they're a religious organization, air quotes, that have, uh, I guess they are legit a le- religious organization that started up um, in the in the 2010s. Um, that's really gathered steam over the last five years or so. I didn't know much about them um, at all. I mean, my sort of my um, relationship with Satanism is my knowledge of like the, um, Anton LaVey yeah. and uh, the Church of Satan. But I don't know a lot about that. I just know what I know from like, I don't, I don't even know what, why I know Satanic that's... Satanic Bible. Everyone's Rosemary's looked at that in baby. high school. Yeah, like... All that stuff. So you, yeah. you, you, Anton Levy is just kind of those, especially if you're in a metal and dark stuff, you kind of know who Anton Levy yeah. is. But I don't know a lot about him. I know what he looks like and stuff. But I, you know, I know a bit about the Church of Satan. Um, I know about the Satanic Panic, mm-hmm. um, of course, because we grew up in that era yeah. where, like, everyone was saying, you know, Satanism was bad and they're sacrificing animals. And you know, if you play D and D, you're going to be going to hell and blah blah blah. So that was a big deal for us in the '80s. So yeah, I mean, they I even know made about... a movie with Tom Hanks about D and D Satanic yeah. Panic called Mazes of Monsters. Yeah, yeah. So we knew about that stuff, but that's kind of my only exposure to this stuff. Uh, I remember I owned the Satanic Bible at one time. Just I being, think, I think a lot of us who were like in our in our teens, we were like, oh, I, I kind of like serial killer books and oh, Satanic Bible, I kind of like that too. Where we're like, I don't know, I don't know if we were trying to be edgy or. I think it was. It freaked me out. I got rid of that shit. That's yeah. one of the only books I'm like. I don't really feel comfortable with this being in my house. But I also remember like kind of reading a bit of it and going, hmm, this kind of makes sense a lot of this stuff. <laughs> like, I don't know if I, I don't want to yeah, go yeah, there, yeah. right? Like, it just seems yeah, evil. Yeah, I had a paperback copy of it, too, when I was like in high school. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't have it anymore, either. I don't know yeah, where it is. But, but I mean, I kind of I got it a little bit. But anyway, this, so this is kind of the new breed of, of Satanists. Okay. And um, they're led by a guy named Lucian Greaves, and uh, the documentary is a lot about him and kind of him, how did, how this religion built up a following. It also talks a lot about their activism and what a lot of what they're trying to do is, um, and what the documentary focuses on is the separation of church and state. So they they've got a big thing, like the the big kind of focus point of this as it sort of plays out is. 
um, there are certain uh, government buildings in different cities, like one of them being in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. It's one of the main focuses. I think another one was in Detroit, where there's like a Ten Commandments um, like monument on like the courthouse lawn or whatever, right? And so these guys are like, well, fuck that. I mean, if you, why why can you have a Ten Commandments thing there? fine if you want to do that we're going to put up a statue of baphomet <laughs> and uh and that's kind of a lot of the focus of it and then i thought it was actually this guy's pretty well spoken and it actually started to make a lot of sense well yeah well how come the 10 commandments and christianity is being promoted everywhere why can't these guys also have a say like the united states isn't supposed to be one religion and it really kind of focuses on how it kind of is in a way and i thought it was really really interesting and really well done and uh um and there's like little bits that i thought were kind of funny like they have like they at one point they create an after school satan club at a at an elementary school where satanist kids can go to their after school activities which i thought was kind of funny but again it, it didn't it didn't totally make it wasn't completely ridiculous the way it was framed i'm like well, of course why wouldn't they have their own club if the christian kids can have a club why can't the satanist kids have a club too um but it's still like there's so much like bad shit about satanism like i still feel uncomfortable even almost talking about it i feel like i'm being a bit evil even liking this right but but it was he was a pretty compelling character this lucian greaves and uh there's another character in this uh her name is Jex Blackmore, and she was an, another one of the main people that kind of got this um, satanic temple going. But then she goes like pretty hardcore and like starts having like masses where she's like, you know, on like a, you know, like a church pulpit, like preaching and throwing the horns. Oh, jeez! And but like being pretty intense and uh, and like having like, you know, naked people on stage with her, like, you know, bl- putting blood on themselves and stuff and she was pretty hardcore and and uh i think goes a little goes a little too far and it's kind of talked about in the in the movie but again kind of kind of had a bit bit of a crush on her kind of <laughs> like a centibite oh, <laughs> so yeah i don't know what's going on with me um but yeah i thought this was really interesting a lot more than i thought it would be i didn't i thought this was just going to be a straight up look at what satanism is and i thought it was going to talk a lot about i thought it was just going to go through the satanic panic and anton Levey and all that but it doesn't it focuses on this lucian greaves guy and the new breed and i thought what they were doing was kind of kind of neat i was pretty compelled by this well my impression of it is that the whole purpose of the documentary is to kind of focus on them kind of being subversive to shine the light on like how you know like government the way government is structured and how things are skewed towards christianity and stuff like that it's kind of like the wrong thing to do yeah but they're just doing it like i feel like a lot of times from my impression of like trailers and clips of some, it's like them kind of messing with that like yeah totally like not taking themselves too overly serious either to try and get their message across in some ways. Like, I'm not saying they're, they're not, ta- they don't take themselves being Satanist seriously, but I feel like sometimes they're purposely ramping that up to kind of like show people like, you know, what you're yeah. doing is kind of, you think what we're doing ridiculous, but maybe what you're doing is kind of ridiculous too. Yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. And, I, and that's what I mean. I felt like it, it, it felt like they were more activists than Satanists. Yeah. Like that's like, 
more yeah. like anarchists almost, but uh, no, I wouldn't go that far. But they're they're definitely like it's an activism against Christianity, right? Which I don't know, you know, however you whatever you think about that. But I I, I did think they had some effective ways of of showing that and showing the hypocrisy. Right. Um, yeah, it was it was a really interesting. Yeah, I've been curious movie. about this one too. I'm I'm I've also been curious about why. The title of the movie is Hail Satan with a question mark at the end of Satan. Yeah. You, yeah, you kind of get a bit of that throughout. But yeah. uh, I thought Jax Blackmore was a really interesting character, though. And hmm. uh, it's, I, I, yeah, I wasn't. Did you look into any more about him after you watched the about doc? Lucian Lushi- Lushi- I looked yeah. into both of them. Both oh, okay. Her and him. Yeah. And uh, yeah, my only, my only kind of thing I didn't like, it was just about what happens to Blackmore in this movie. It doesn't. Yeah, it just she's kind of painted a bit as a villain, and right. you don't really, you don't really get a, a kind of like whatever happened to at the oh, end okay. or anything like a counterpoint or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like she's kind of, but uh, yeah, very very interesting. Interesting how you can see how, how it kind of can go both ways, like with the right. kind of controlled, um, you know, approach that Lucian Greaves takes to a bit more of the wild approach that she takes and. Yeah, it was, it was really good. Okay. A lot, lot a good, a lot of good talking points. I think it could, uh, yeah, it was, but it would be a really interesting one to watch with friends and then have a discussion. Yeah, I, I have this on my queue too. Yeah, because I'm curious about it. Yeah, it's definitely worth watching. Okay. It's super entertaining. Like you're, you'll be into it the whole time. It's very well made. Okay. Yeah, cool. Hail Satan! I will watch that eventually. <laughs> you know my queue at Netflix. I eventually get to it. Um, <laughs> So, uh, speaking of streaming services, um, you know, while most of you people are going on your streaming services watching whatever new original series that everyone seems to love, or, you know, you're going on a place like Prime and you're watching like Prime original movies like the Suspiria remake or, you know, you know, things like that, like, you know, uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel or whatever the big Jack Reacher or whatever, the, or Jack Ryan, yeah. whatever the big... Amazon series are I go on Prime and I'm like hey they made a movie in 1979 the same year that Meatballs came out but it's directed by Chuck Vincent called Summer Camp I'm in really yes huh so I watched Summer Camp from 1979 directed by Chuck Vincent if you're a if you're a child of the 80s like Josh and I you know who Chuck Vincent is yeah this is a guy who directed a movie called Hollywood Hot Tubs in the early 80s uh, he also directed a movie called Wimps, Preppies, and a movie that Josh and I watched together called Hot T-Shirts, which we have <laughs> fond memories of. <laughs> My body's wet. My body's dripping wet. So uh, this is a guy who started out in the uh, adult film industry and then decided, hey, I see there's this big uh, trend right now in the late 70s here to have kind of like sexy comedies. I think I'm going to jump on that bandwagon. And hey, wasn't that movie Meatballs, that little small movie from Canada, wasn't that a big hit? What if I do a version of Meatballs, only I make it kind of for adults? That would be good. So that's what summer camp is. So this is a uh, this is about Camp Malibu. <laughs> and it's a camp that's about to be shut down because they don't have enough money to keep operating. So the guy who runs it comes up with this brilliant scheme where he's like, to try and save this camp, we're going to invite back old counselors 
for a wild weekend. And I know all these counselors have rich parents, so we're going to invite them back so they can see how much fun camp is, and then we can get their parents to donate money to keep the camp alive. <laughs> and that's the plot of the entire movie right there. Um, so, you know, we've got like... We've got an opening credit scene that's got a disco theme song. Nice. It's like summer camp, summer camp, or something like that, right? <laughs> and, and it's got everyone getting ready to go. And while they're getting ready to go, I'm looking and I'm looking. I'm like, holy fuck, that's Linnea Quigley. Linnea Quigley is in summer camp. Really? Yes. So I'm like, whoa, this is super early Linnea Quigley oh right here. Oh my God. Because I think the only movie she had made before this is uh, Psycho from Texas. Really? Which was filmed in like 1977 and didn't come out uh, until 1981. Was it before um, the Cheech and Chong movies? Yeah, it was. I would have been... Because uh, she it, was in Nice Dreams. It was uh, Yeah, it was before that because wow. Nice Dreams was like 1981. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, whoa, Linnea is in this. So I was like, okay, that just gets me even more interested right yeah. now. So <clears throat> everyone's getting ready for this 10-year reunion. The comedy's about what you would expect from a movie like this. It's just, you know, hijinks, no character development whatsoever. Yeah. Like nothing. It's just them like, you know, spying on the girls in the shower, having a food fight. Uh, you know, the, the fat guy called Horse. And a joke about how big his dick is, you know, and, uh, you know, Ricky, the blonde ringleader who goes around and he's like, he's like trying to get all the other guys worked up. And the fat guy who likes to yell orgy all the time. And <laughs> is it horses? Uh... His name's horse. <laughs> and, you know, and then, you know, the pr there's pranks and there's jokes and there's, you know, the occasional sex scene. And there's the, the one girl who's the super tramp who try, who like makes out with everybody throughout the entire movie, including the camp doctor. Uh, we've got like, you know, we've got innuendos, we've got boobs, we've got Linnea Quigley in a bikini causing havoc at a swimming competition. We've got, you know, scatterbrained, scatterbrained plotting, but kind of charming at the same time for some reason. We've got Chuck Vincent himself playing this wacky prospector who swears he's going to strike gold on this summer camp eventually with like a fake mustache and like all this mining gear on his back. And uh, it's just... It's just like there's a scene in this where the girl, the slutty girl who's been going around the camp making out with everyone, she decides to like seduce the camp doctor. And there's a scene of them like having sex where she's like on top or whatever, like they're in that cradling position singing row, row, row your boat while they're about to orgasm. <laughs> and I'm just like, OK, that's OK by me. It's pretty amusing, I guess. Um, you've got. You know, there's a big disco scene. There's a scene where the same doctor gets videotaped having making out with Linnea Quigley and they put it on the TV and they're like, you're a star. That kind of right, stuff. Yeah. Like all that kind of goofy humor. But like, I actually didn't mind this. Kinda no kidding. Like, huh? It sounds great. Kind of like hot T-shirts. You know, we watched it. And we're like, yeah, it's OK. I wish I didn't sell that. <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those... VHS regret. <laughs> it's just one of those late 70s sexploitation, com like, TNA comedies. Yeah. Where you're just, like, you're watching it, you know, it's shittily edited, and it, it feels like a porn crew had a weekend to make a movie, and the cast are all these amateurs, and it's not the greatest movie, but you're watching it, and you're just kind of like, yeah, I'm okay with this, like, 85 minutes out of my life. I'm perfectly fine with this. Like the jokes are stupid, but a little goofy. There's 
ample flesh on display and it's hitting all the notes I'd expect a summer camp movie to, to yeah. hit. Why not? Why not? I watch this on Prime, whatever. I'm like, I don't feel any guilt from watching summer camp on Prime. Why would I? <laughs> um, so it's, it was, it's, if you're into Chuck Vincent movies or you're into like that 80s, late 70s TNA movies, because there was a lot of them and there, a lot of them are super forgotten. Yeah. It's it's worth watching this. I mean, like I said, it's on Prime. Uh, the guy who produced this actually went on to produce a movie that another uh, TNA movie that both of us that we watched together called Lunch Wagon. Oh, Lunch Wagon, and that was pretty good too. It was Pamela, G- produ- Pamela Bryant. Yep, same producer <laughs> as this film. Uh, and yeah, it's it's pretty good. Uh, just to mention a few of the uh, the cast members here, uh, Ricky is played by a guy called Matt Michaels. And he's kind of like the blonde pretty boy in this. And I thought he was okay. Like, he's he's not a very good actor, but he's, like, just likable enough. Uh, the only other credit he has is he's in a uh, a gay porn directed by Tom DeSimone, who made Reform really? School Girls, in <laughs> ni- like, three years after this. Yeah. That's his only other credit. Um, Moose is played by a guy called Ray Holland, whose only other film credit is Hot T-Shirts. No. Yeah, and Moose is the overweight, chubby guy who even gets the girl at the end because even fat guys get love in TNA movies of the 70s. <laughs> um, and then the only other person I want to mention and the most, the one who everyone who's into like TNA exploitation B-movies will know is Kim, who's the girl who's the, the tramp of the camp, who's making out with everybody, is played by Jacqueline Giraud, who has been in such movies as CB Hustlers and Sweet Sugar. Among other things like that, she's oh, okay. she's a very you will know her if you saw. I saw her. Sweet Sugar Jackie, recently. Jackie Giro, she's mostly known as. Okay, uh, she's uh, brunette, very petite. Yeah, uh, she's in a lot of these kind of movies in the seventies, and then she moved on to like actually, I think she started doing film production now, and she actually directed a horror movie about five six years ago, uh, a female slanted horror movie. I wonder she, if I talked wrote. about her when I talked about Sweet Sugar. Maybe you might have, yeah. but she's in this, and she's actually so you know she has the thankless role of being the one who basically tries to seduce everyone and drops her clothes every chance she gets. Yeah. But she's actually kind of good in this too. So I mean, if you got eighty-five minutes to waste, you like this kind of thing, you don't get offended by like that seventies like. Oh yeah, sure. Sexism and yeah, nudity and off-color humor and you know jokes about dicks, endless jokes about dicks and stuff like that. You'll probably get something out of summer camp. Nice. I mean, I, I like Chuck Vincent. I think Chuck Vincent. I mean, I think he knew what he was making. Like, yeah. I don't think he was thinking I'm making high art here. Yeah. I think when he made Hollywood hot tubs, he wasn't like, oh my god, this is like friggin' the best. <laughs> I think he was just like, this is gonna make me money. Yeah. This is what people want. Yeah. So, I mean, in that sense, this is, yeah, it's pretty good. Cool. Like, on the level of hot t-shirts. So On Amazon Prime. And on Amazon was Prime. It, was it widescreen? No, it's like a really crappy looking, like, it almost looks like a VHS rip, only with, yeah. like, higher resolution. <laughs> oh, my God. If that makes sense. Yeah. This film actually, the movie actually was not filmed in widescreen. Okay. It was filmed in full frame, like 133 oh, nice. scope. So. You're not missing anything. Yeah, I wonder if this is out on disc at all. I don't think so. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Yeah, I don't think it is. But I was like, the poster is one of those ones where it's like hand, like cartoon drawn. And it's all the, the whole gang of them like, yeah, we're at summer camp. And I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty right good on. for what it is. Nice. I'll be checking that one out too. Okay, uh, let's talk about this one. Um, so this is a ghost movie that I found out about through a girl I follow on Instagram, and uh, she was she was recommending this movie. Um, so I thought oh, I'll give it a try. So um, it's a movie called Crooked House from 2008, um, directed by Damon Thomas. Um, he's done. Um, he did some episodes of Penny Dreadful. He's done some episodes of the new Dracula that's out on Netflix. So this is a British movie? Yeah, this is a BBC okay. movie. I've never heard of it. Yeah, neither had I. Um, so she, um, sorry, the movie it was actually a three-part anthology. So it was um, aired over three consecutive nights, I believe. And this was an omnibus version that you can watch on Amazon Prime. Okay. Um, so... The whole thing was written by Mark Gatiss, who, um, if you're a fan of British TV shows, you'll know who that is because he played Mycroft on Sherlock, and he also was one of the co-writers and co-creators, I believe, of Sherlock. Also one of the co-creators of the new Dracula series on Netflix, and he's done a shit ton of stuff. Um, He did, like, uh, League of Gentlemen, I think, is um, another British series that he was heavily involved with, but he's one of these guys that's just been done tons tons of stuff if you start looking into him. So, because we're not from england we don't know these guys the way they're probably known over there but i would imagine this guy's a pretty big name over there um okay so the it's an anthology it's three um ghost stories but they're all um they all revolve around a haunted door knocker so the movie opens with um a character um named ben who is um has this haunted door knocker and he's trying to sell it to this museum curator played by Mark Gatiss and Mark Gatiss um, has these stories about the, the manner that the door knocker came from. Um, So he tells a couple of these stories to Ben. So the first one's called the wainscoting um, and it's, it's set in the 18th century and it's about, it was okay. It was about this old guy who, um, had some unscrupulous business dealings that resulted in the death of of his like business partner and he lives alone in this manner that he I think he got through the unscrupulous business dealings and um, basically it gets haunted at night by a ghost that's in the walls wainscoting is uh, paneling I think is a English word for paneling so there's a ghost haunting him through the walls of the house it was okay. I mean, it had a int- fun little twist at the end, but uh, I'm not a big fan of period ghost movies, so I was uh, I was kind of mediocre on this one. The next one's called Something Old. It's um, set in the 1920s, and it's about um, there's a, a wedding now going on, at, or an engagement party going on at the manor, and it's just about... Um, this party happening a few like kind of creepy things go on and um um there's a there there's um some discussion and we we learn about um this this bride that had passed away in the past that is sort of haunting the the halls of the manor and haunting any weddings that uh um take place there and uh so it's all about kind of that 
ghost haunting this new bride and groom. And I thought this was decent again. Um, didn't blow my socks off at all. Um, but good enough. Had a, had a pretty couple of pretty good scares. One particularly good one. Um, but again, it was okay. The third one's called The Knocker. And it is... Um, it is um, the Ben character who was being told the stories. He ends up taking the door knocker home and putting it on his front door. And then he starts getting haunted. And so it's a contemporary one. And uh, this one I thought had a lot more going for it. I thought this one was pretty scary, actually. Had um, some interesting um, look, interesting uh, Satanism bents going on. And it also had a scene that was really, really fucking unsettling and uh, liked it quite a bit. I mean, this didn't blow me away at all. I mean, I think if you're a fan of this kind of atmospheric haunted house stuff, uh, particularly British, you and it, particularly if you're a fan of Mark Gatiss, I think you might really enjoy this. Um, I was I was expecting this to be epic but it was it was okay like i i enjoyed it but i i don't think i'm i don't i watched it on amazon prime but i so i'm not gonna go and buy it or anything but right it was a nice little time waster but um the last story was was pretty creepy for sure so yeah bit of a deep dive on this one but, <laughs> you think but I it's didn't. uh but maybe not so deep i don't think it's a super deep dive if you live in europe I guess so. At all. So, yeah. But if you're a fan of, like, period horror or ghost stories, um, it's it's not a waste of time. That's for sure. Um, and this guy is kind of a master of TV episodic stuff. And, and he's a good writer. I mean, Sherlock is really good. I really enjoy it. So, And I'm looking forward to checking out Dracula. So if you like those series and you're looking for something a bit older from the, the creator, I'd, I'd recommend checking it out. So it's called Crooked House. Hmm. I'm kind of curious about that ghost stories that just came out mm. a couple last yeah, yeah. year or the year before. That's a British ghost yeah, one too. That's true. And that's on Netflix. So yeah, I just was thinking like, Oh, there's been some okay ghost stuff coming from Britain lately, I guess, but I have no idea what the hell you're talking about when you brought this up. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of, well, it also has a bit of a TV yeah. look. It's, it's, it's not super cheap looking, but so it's, is it like it? So it's basically just all three episodes kind of just Crushed, crushed into together. Feature. Yeah. So how long is it then? It's about ninety minutes. Oh really? Okay, that's not bad then. No, it's not bad at all. Oh yeah, that's right because it's British TV and they just like get in and get out as fast as they can. If you've ever watched a British TV show, you're like, what do you mean? There's only eight episodes in this season. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, but I like you know it's funny because I'm not. Um, I don't really like watching ghost haunting movies that much, right. but. Hmm. ghosts scare me more than anything hmm. so well, maybe that's why you don't like watching them i don't think that's it though huh i don't know I, I don't usually enjoy ghost stuff i think it takes a lot to get it right to get a really right. good one and yeah like there's a moment in this that i will certainly not forget but overall i i uh but i mean the girl that turned me on to this loved it so okay highest recommendation from her and i do respect her opinion okay. so yeah fair enough yeah um, you know, it's, it's winter. So, well, how better to follow up summer camp with another movie with summer in the title. And, uh, so, you know, every once in a while you get that urge where you're like, you know what? I know I've got all these movies sitting here that I've never seen, but you know, I, tonight I just feel like, you know, kicking back and checking out something. I know that I really, 
really liked when I was younger and I haven't seen in a while. And uh, so I'm going to do that. So I was like, okay, well, let's go look in. Let's go look in the room here, the room of movies and see what I can find. And I decided to pick 1987 Summer School, directed by (laughs) Carl Reiner and starring Mark Harmon. Now, this is a movie I saw at the drive-in when it first came out when I was 13. Yeah. Um, I think I saw it with... I want to say that I saw it with Critical Condition, the Richard Pryor movie, right? where he pretends to be a doctor during a power outage. Another movie I want to revisit, but is actually hard to find because it's out of print. Oh. But um, this is a movie that I've that I really loved when I saw it when I was younger. I've seen it a few times over the years and I still really liked it fine. So I was like, you know what? I just want to shut my brain off, watch this 90 minute comedy and see where the night takes me. So I was like, okay, summer, summer school. It is. I recently talked about, um, another Carl Reiner summer movie. When I talked about summer rental with John Candy, not that long ago, which is actually the movie he directed right before summer school. Okay. So he did back to back summer movies. Yeah. Um, so this is set at oceanfront high school. We've got Mark Harmon is the chill gym teacher with his, with his pet dog, wonder mutt. And uh, he's supposed to be heading out to Hawaii with his girlfriend, but he gets kind of like blackmailed into teaching summer school because he's due for tenure. And uh, they're like, none of the other teachers want to stay. So he's like, so they're like, well, if you don't stay, you're not going to get tenure. So you might not have a job next year. Mm. So he's kind of, you know, forced into teaching remedial English. And he's a gym teacher. But besides the point, <laughs> This is your typical thing where it's like the teacher's cool. And then we've got the typical cast of kids who are like, they all have their own little quirks and stuff and totally familiar faces in this. Like Shawnee Smith is in this from the blob Mm. remake, which I talked about in the saw movies. You got Dean Cameron from like ski school and all these other eighties. Rockula. Yeah. Rockula and things like that. Um, You've got Kelly Joe Minter from Nightmare on Elm Street five, among other things. You know, all these familiar faces, Patrick Labrador, who's in like, he was in like 80 sitcoms and stuff. So it's, and, and I didn't write down the actor's name, but he plays the nerdy guy in this. He's gone on to do like the voice of Invader Zim. Okay. Amongst other cartoon characters, but I'm afraid I didn't write his name down. But, uh, so he's brought in to teach all these kids. At the same time, we've got Kirstie Alley from Cheers and Look Who's Talking. Oh, yeah. As, one of the one of his co-teachers like that's also teaching summer school who's just here to basically act as a love interest kind of and also to be like you know shoop you can become a real teacher you don't have to let them walk all over you right you can you got to teach these kids you know he's she's kind of there as the moral compass of the movie right yeah um so from here it's just like you know goofiness like early on in the movie he's like i don't want to be teaching I got it. We're going to go for field trips. So it's seen to them going to the amusement park and having fun or going to the beach and yeah. having fun and stuff like that. And then we've got all the, all the characters who we like, like Dean Cameron plays this horror movie obsessed guy called chainsaw Yeah, and his buddies, Dave, and they're totally like obsessed with Texas chainsaw massacre yeah. and horror movies and stuff. And they have some pretty funny stuff in here. Like there's this, when they go to the amusement park, there's a petting zoo and they come charging out of the 
out of a barn with these bunnies clung to their face. They're like, oh, God, oh, God. <laughs> like they're killer bunnies, but it's just latex and stuff they've put on. And they're pulling them away from their face and it's pulling the skin off and everything. And that's kind of funny. And, um, you know, and then Harmon's got really good charisma. Like I always liked I always liked Mark Harmon. Like, I'm not going to lie. I've always liked him. I've always thought he's been, he's a pretty likable guy in whatever I've seen him in. And here's no exception. He's, but you know, he's fun, but I thought the students were pretty fun to watch too. Like equally, which was a nice change. Cause yeah. usually it's one or the other. I mean, I liked the horror guys. Cause there's a scene later in the movie where they try and scare off the substitute teacher by using their horror movie and makeup effects knowledge to their advantage. And I'm like, there's gore gags in a PG 13 teen yeah, comedy. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't believe they got away with this, but it's pretty awesome that they did. But the thing, here's some nitpicking. You said I nitpicked about the box of reckless. Here's some fucking nitpicking, dude. These guys are supposed to be completely obsessed with Texas chainsaw massacre. When they're talking about it at one point, they say it came out in 1973. Didn't came out yeah. in 1974 and they mispronounced Tobey Hooper's name. How do they pronounce it? Tobey Hooper or some or Hop Hopper or something. They say it completely wrong. Like I'm just like if this is like your favorite horror movie of all time, like it is mine, you should be pretty fucking accurate on who directed it and what year it came out. Right. Like I don't think maybe it's not your favorite horror movie after all. That's just me being nitpicking. That's me blaming the writer of this movie, not blaming the characters. Right. Like, so that's my nitpick rant over. <laughs> right. I've seen people being more nitpicky than that about this movie. The fact that like... So why don't they know how to say Toby Hooper? I don't know. They don't. Hmm. I think they just mispronounced it. And the director, Carl Reiner's like, by this point, he's in his like 60s. He's like, I don't fucking know who that is. So he probably didn't pick oh, up on weird. it either, yeah. right? But anyway... I've seen people on online completely talking about how these two guys get obsessed with the foreign exchange student who's supposed to be from Italy. They're like, well, at one point, when they're in the bedroom of the horror movie guy, there's a poster for zombie there. So why wouldn't they ask her if she knew who Lucille Fulci was? <laughs> like, I'm not getting nitpicky to that point. Yeah. I'm just saying, if you're going to have Texas Chainsaw Massacre as part of your plot, yeah. at least get your facts right. Yeah. And that's the writer's fault. That's true. So... That's my nitpick done. But I actually still think this is a lot of fun to watch. Like, because there's there's a scene where he's like, he's like, well, you know, I want you guys to pass this test because if you don't pass this test at the end of the semester, I'm losing my job. So they kind of like blackmail him. Like, oh, you have to do all these favors for us. So the favors are kind of like, you know, teach me how to, let me drive your car so I can learn how to drive better so I can pass my driver's test, you know? Chainsaw and them are like, let's have a party at your house. Mm. And obviously, if there's a party at your house, things are going to go wrong. That's what kind of movie this is. Courtney Thorne Smith from Melrose Place, I think she was in, among yeah. other things. She plays the surfer girl, like the dreamy surfer girl, who's like, let me move in with you because yeah. I have nowhere to live, live, which leaves this really icky scene of her trying to seduce him when he's like, obviously, like almost 15 years her senior. Yeah. It's kind of gross. Um, but, you know, it's just like, it's just the fun stuff. And, and, you know, it has your typical thing of them. Oh, we're learning stuff because we're all learning stuff from each other about how life goes. But at the same time, this is this falls into that trap of 80s comedies where characters are fucking jerks at times, too. 
Like you said, Ferris Bueller. Oh, he's a fucking jerk. He dude. is a jerk. To Cameron. In this movie, there's not one point in this. There's one point in, in this movie that every fucking student is a fucking jerk to Mark Harmon's character uh, at least once. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's an 80s movie. I get it. The 80s was me, 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 me. Decade. Yeah. I get it. And I was just like, I'm watching it as an adult. I didn't pick up on it as a kid. But I'm watching it as a dark. I'm like, fuck, they're being real assholes right now. <laughs> but I actually didn't let it ruin my enjoyment of yeah. the movie. But I was just like, whoa, they're being dicks right now. Um, but yeah, like I said, entertaining, super cheesy ending like you'd expect from this movie. But like a lot of set pieces that really worked. A lot of funny lines in this. Like when Mark Harmon's character gets thrown into jail, he's getting pulled into the jail cell on his roller shirtless with like his rollerblades on, and he's like sees all the bad criminals there, and he looks at the cop. He goes, "Do you have a Do you have a cell for beginners?" <laughs> so like just stupid lines like that, which I yeah. found kind of amusing. But yeah, I, I still like summer school quite a bit. Yeah, I really do. I still think it's a fun movie, and I don't think a lot of people talk about it for some reason. I, they like, don't. But it's super memorable. I mean, the two things I remember about this is one, I was super into Courtney Smart, Courtney, Courtney Thorne Smith. Yeah, I thought she was, yeah, like someone I'd like to hang out with. Yeah, and B, um, Chainsaw Dave, like they made me feel like, oh, well, it's, yeah, they it's were okay like, to be a horror fan. Well, yeah, they were like us, and they were kind of cool, right? So yeah, like, well, actually, they're not that cool in this movie. No, as an adult, because. Through this whole movie, there was saying like, oh, my God, we stayed sober for a day. Oh, no. And they're high school students and they're drunk all the time. But I guess I haven't seen this since high school. Yeah, so well, I, that's I the thought thing, they right? were super cool, right? But like, well, because Chainsaw's got a room full of those, you know, monster movie masks and posters. And, and Dave was more like Spicoli, wasn't he? He was kind of Spicoli, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he was just like the hanger on with Chainsaw. Yeah. And but at the same time, you're like, when you saw this as a kid, you're like, oh, my God. It's okay to like Friday the 13th. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're right. That's exactly right. I mean, watching it as an adult, you're like, well, they're kind of dicks. Yeah. But at the time, you're like, fuck yeah, Chainsaw and Dave are the best. And but I at do the like, same time, teenagers are kind of dicks. Well, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I do like Dean Cameron still. I like him in this movie. I liked him in Ski School. I like him in Bad Dreams from 1988, that horror movie yeah. with Richard Lynch. I mean, I like him in everything I've seen him in, too. Yeah. I think he's just got this kind of likable personality to him. But I, I was really taken by how likable Mark Harmon is in this movie. Because yeah. I totally forgot how likable he was. Mm-hmm. But uh you know, it's it's a it's a late eighties teen comedy. Uh delivers the goods for PG thirteen on gore scenes, has a lot of laughs, you know, has a likable cast. It's a, still a lot of fun. I still quite enjoyed it. The only thing I realized when I watched it this time is that it's written by Jeff Franklin. And you're like, who's Jeff Franklin, you may ask? Well, two years before this, he wrote one of my ultimate favorite teen comedies of the 80s, Just One of the Guys. Right. Which still needs to come out on Blu-ray. It's got announced. Did it? Got announced, yeah. Thank goodness. Can't remember who's putting it because out. Because the DVD's full frame. Yeah. And he also created the show Full House. I don't think we can hold. we should hold that against him, though. <laughs> But uh, summer school, a lot of fun still. Nice. Recommended if you're into like dopey 80s comedies with like a lot of sunshine and goofiness, I Great. guess you would say. Yeah, I'd love to revisit this one. Yeah, it's, pre- it's 
still pretty good. Cool. Although on the video box, the dog's wearing sunglasses, and that does not happen in the movie. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I did that on purpose. <laughs> All right, so summer school. Okay. Well, I too decided to re- revisit a movie from yesteryear that I really, really didn't like. Oh. See, I watched stuff I knew I liked, and you were like, I didn't like this. I think I'll watch it again. <laughs> well, the reason I watched this, there's a couple of reasons. Well, the main reason I watched this is because it just recently got announced that Scream Factory is putting out a collector's edition. Okay. And I'm like, that's weird. Do I, did I miss something? Was this as terrible as I remember? Because I really didn't like this one. And um, so I thought, you know what? I, I got to rewatch this because I don't want to go and buy the collector's edition like a moron if this is as terrible as I remember. You don't want another Vice Squad on your hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, sh- I sh- could have should have just stayed with the DVD on Vice Squad. But no, this th- I will not be buying the collector's edition of this. And that's a movie called Escape from L.A. Oh, that movie stinks. Right? But I was like, why did Scream Factory is, I guess they're wanting to put all the carpenter? Pretty much. But I'm like, like a collector's edition? <laughs> it's not good. And they're saying it's going to be fully loaded with extras? Like who? The wh- best thing about Escape from L.A. is the soundtrack album. No. No, I like the soundtrack no, album. No, you don't. Yes, I do. You might think you do. No, I still do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Come on, man. It's got butthole surfers on it. How, how wrong can you go? It does, but okay. So, okay, so this is 1996, directed by John Carpenter, obviously the sequel to Escape from New York, and I remember just being so disappointed when I, when I went to see this in the theaters. The only time I've seen this movie is in the theaters. Oh, I, haven't, I didn't see it in the theaters. I saw it on VHS. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. I saw it in the theaters when it came out, and I remember just being like, fuck, man, how could you screw it up so badly, right? Yeah. So the premise is there's been an earthquake in the year 2000 that destroys L.A. and creates an island off the coast of L.A. where, like Escape from New York, they have made this into, like, a Manhattan-like prison island. And all the prisoners are put on this in this no-man's land to do what what they want. (laughs) Escape from New York was great. Yeah, but this is a rehash. It's a total rehash. And, uh, okay, so first of all... I was pretty confused very quickly. Like, it's not as straightforward as the first one. And all you need in a movie like this is to be straightforward. But you've got, like, Cliff Robertson's the president. And and he shows up. And then, um, who else? Stacy Keach is there as the commander. He's supposed to be, like, the Tom Atkins character. Or the Lee Van Cleef character. And then we've got Michelle Forbes as, like, this woman. And then they're explaining how the president's daughter... Uh, Utopia has been kidnapped and is on the island with this like um, this guy named Cuervo Jones who's like a Venezuelan like gang leader or something and they've got some doomsday machine that's gonna blow up the world and and but then but then um, the characters that are telling Snake Plissken all this are holograms and I'm like what the fuck is going on then they go in you know they explain how he's got to go in and get this doomsday machine and I was actually kind of like what what's happening like what is he supposed to do like all I need is he needs to go in there get something and get out but it was 
quite complicated. I didn't know how the daughter fit in because the, the president's basically like, go in, but you can just kill my daughter. And, and I'm like, okay, so I, what's, I don't really get what he's supposed to be doing, which is already a problem. Like when you have a quest movie, you can't, you got to have a very clear, like, you know, end game. And yeah, I need I, a goal. I didn't know what the goal was. Okay. So that was the first problem. Um, we've got, um, okay. Then, then, Okay, then Snake Plissken, who's wearing his garb from the original, then changes into this like super like black form fitting like like almost spandexy type bulletproof suit that's all like and a big black trench coat and I'm just like this isn't my snake Plissken like <laughs> what's going on here and Kurt was you know starring in this and still doing his thing and I thought he was fine but then they then he gets into this torpedo like that shoots over to uh the island that he gets into instead of the collider from the first one he goes in a torpedo underwater and you know I'm like oh my god the CG is like so bad <laughs> it looked like it was right from right out of like a video game from this era and then when that shark jumps up to like grab yeah. the torpedo I'm like oh my god like this is really bad right? <laughs> and oh then, just wait there's more oh and then it just yeah so then he lands and um he lands on the other side immediately meets up with Peter Fonda who's playing a surfer and then he meets up with Steve Buscemi, who's like driving this big, cool old convertible. Who's his his name is mapped to the stars, Eddie. And I'm like immediately annoyed. I I don't mind Steve Buscemi, but it was like annoying Steve Buscemi. And I'm like, oh fuck, this is weird. Like I'm not liking any of the characters. It's this is doesn't seem as cool as the original. Um, and then you, yeah, you had your '90s soundtrack, which I know you're a fan of, but I don't mind it. But I'm hearing like Tool and Sugar Ray and White Zombie and Stabbing Westward, and I'm like, Clutch yeah, is on that soundtrack. It's, it's Clutch on the soundtrack. Yes. It just felt so dated, though. Like it felt so of the time. And yeah, no, maybe the soundtrack separately is good, but it just really rooted this movie. And I don't mind Stabbing Westward. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but it just roots this movie in that time yeah, yeah, period. Yeah. No, so it's badly. a dated soundtrack, but I. Yeah. Still kind of like it. Yeah. Okay. So this is all going on, and and Kurt's like walking around, and you know, I guess Beverly Hills now, which is trying to look all grimy, but as we all know, Beverly Hills isn't really that grimy, so it felt weird to me. And then then Bruce Campbell shows up as this like Surgeon General of the surgical failures, and he's like this fucked up plastic surgeon that's made all these like monstrosities and very very quick scene and i'm like what a waste of bruce campbell and, and then then valerie valeria galino shows up and i you know didn't mind her in hot shots part two and uh rain man and stuff like that and she had a very short-lived american acting career but a cute french girl she's only in it for like five minutes and um it was just kind of weird and although that's great in a movie like 1917 I, in this movie i'm kind of expecting some of these people to be around for a little bit then we get to this weird basketball game where the the evil uh, Peruvian terrorist has captured Snake Plissken and challenges him that if he can sink like 
10 baskets in a minute or something that he's free to go. I don't want my Snake Plissken playing basketball. <laughs> so like, Snake Plissken is running around dribbling up a basketball no, court. No, Sinking baskets. No. It was really... Do you remember this? No. It was really bizarre. I'm like... I don't want to see what this. What is happening? <laughs> I just remember surfing. I don't remember basketball. Oh, no. There's basketball. And oh, I'm like... Oh, shit. And then he like eventually sinks a shot from the other side of the court. And I'm just like... Snake should just not know how to play basketball. Like, we shouldn't give a it would fuck like, about playing basketball. Yeah, like it would be like him going to a club and starting to dance. Like it's just something he shouldn't like, be doing. That's not something Snake <laughs> would give a shit about. No, not at all. He would just fucking shoot the guy. <laughs> exactly. Like, come on. Exactly. So then, you know, eventually we get to oh, we, eventually we get to Pam Greer playing a transgendered villain, and they've like lowered the, her the octave of her voice. And it was really weird. And I, I did remember that. Do you remember Pam Greer in this? Oh, my God. And then, yeah, we get the surfing scene where Peter Fonda oh, and, and Kurt Russell. I remember are like that. Surfing. It's terrible. In like this terrible CGI surfing. Then the whole thing culminates in this hang gliding scene into like fake Disneyland. And again, bad CGI and Steve Buscemi's there being annoying and yeah man holy fuck this thing is a mess i'm so glad there's a collector's edition coming i think carpenter stands by this movie i think carpenter he's quoted as saying it's better than escape from new york (laughs) and yeah i am i don't Uh, understand go back to call of duty i don't understand now i didn't hate it as much as i hated it when it first came out yeah but man, oh man, like, yeah, it will not be. That's like me watching Battlefield Earth and being like, yeah, I, I didn't hate it as much, but I still hate it. Yeah, it's like it was so unnecessary. And like, I just don't know how they shit the bed so badly. And um, Kirk co-wrote it with, with Carpenter and Deborah Hill. Like how I, I just don't understand. And it, it kind of made me think like, you know, I'm... <laughs> Maybe it's good that John's not making movies anymore and now that he's now he's a musician and like living that second career because after like In the Mouth of Madness or maybe Village of the Damned, which I haven't seen, like Village of the Damned isn't that good. Yeah, so after In the Mouth of Madness, it's just been kind of really bad output from John Carpenter and and um but yeah, this so I yeah, any anyone out there that's thinking, Oh, did I like Maybe like a look, a second look at this will be, maybe maybe it's dated really well. No, it has not. It's terrible. So yeah, I'm very very surprised that Screen Factory is like ex- excitedly putting this out, and that people are saying, "Oh yeah, this is like so mis- misunderstood." And I'm like, "What? No, it's it's not, guys. Like this is still as bad as you remember it." So don't waste your time you can pick this up for like eight bucks if you really want to see it again on blu-ray from uh yeah just the paramount release is it paramount yeah Yeah, like it's very very cheap um just to pick up the bare bones blu-ray but like don't waste your time on scream factory and scream factory come on guys like there's so many fucking movies out there waiting to be found again like that we've never that there isn't a blu-ray out or a dvd for that matter like don't waste your time and resources yeah, dude, sh- they wasted their time putting out the jamie lee curtis movie virus on blu-ray too and that's a piece yeah. of crap yeah but this one is sometimes known, their selections really are known. very weird yeah this one's a weird one and a collector's edition well, they like put a collector's edition of return of the living dead too oh fuck me yeah i forgot about that one yeah like, who decides that... I think it's just like, oh, these people aren't busy. 
They got lots of time to do special features. Let's make it a collector's edition. But I'll bet you, I'll bet you we'll be hearing some reviews of this saying, oh, yeah, it was, you know, misunderstood upon its release, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't. It wasn't. It's terrible. (laughs) That's like saying Vampire in Brooklyn was misunderstood. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't. I saw it recently. It sucks. Yeah, yeah. It sucks, Vampire and Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah. So this See is... what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Zing. But yeah, like, just, again, like, just Escape from New York. Like, Snake Plissken fans, just leave it Escape from New York. You don't need to see this one again. It just shouldn't exist. All right. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm going to talk about a movie that came out last year that is currently nominated for the most amount of Oscars, which is 11. It's a movie directed by the guy who made The Hangover, which is a series of comedies I dislike quite a bit. It's a movie based on a DC Comics character. It's a movie called Joker from 2019. Mm. Um, so, <clears throat> how do I how do I talk about Joker here? Well, let me just start by saying that Todd Phillips, who wrote, co-wrote, and directed this, has seen Taxi Driver a lot. And really, really like Scorsese. Because this movie is him trying so hard to make his movie like a Scorsese movie. Oh, really? Specifically Taxi Driver and a little bit of King of Comedy in there, too. Hmm. So this is like set in 1981 Gotham City, which is basically New York City, if you kind of follow the comic books so it's that typical it's run down it's dirty there's crime going on all the time blah 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 so totally scorsese looking in production design the way taxi driver looked in that movie uh it's got joaquin phoenix playing kind of like this you know he's kind of a loser He's like an unlucky guy, lives with his mom, and you know he wants to be a stand-up comedian, but he's not very good at it, and he has a disorder that he can't stop laughing, and he gets bullied and picked on all the time, and you know, and he's got a little bit of, you know, mental issues, like he's a little bit schizophrenic in some ways, a little bit delusional in some ways, and it just basically follows him on his path to becoming Joker, which is like one of the biggest. Batman villains of all time. So it kind of goes from starts out with him, you know, with his job as like a clown at kids parties and then kind of ends with him, you know, heading towards the path of being the Joker. And in between a lot of bad stuff happens to him. And, you know, Robert De Niro's in the picture as like this talk show host who kind of brings him on the show to make fun of him. And he's kind of modeled kind of after He's kind of reminds me a lot of King of Comedy, like the the Rupert Pupkin character that, that Jerry Lee Lewis plays in King of Comedy, kind of. Like, that's what De Niro kind of was striking me as in this movie. Kind of that feeling. Um, so the movie is, like, super ugly looking because it, on purpose. Mm-hmm. So it's supposed to look grungy and run down. So the production design in this, I actually thought was really good. Um, Joaquin Phoenix, you know I like him as an actor. I have no doubt he's going to win best actor for this movie. Yeah. Like he's really good in this movie. Like he, he hits every cue he needs to hit and he's really good. The problem is the movie is poorly written. Like really, it's really poorly written. Like this is like, 
Phillips and his co-writer being like, let's go as dark and as nihilistic as we can get away with in a big studio movie. But let's forget about actually having any sort of purpose to our movie. Like, there's no real message to our movie. It's just, we're just trying to make this as dark as we humanly can. We're not really gunning for this overlaying message about the movie. We kind of are not really focusing on Phoenix's character's mental problems. Like, we're kind of just brushing that off, saying, oh, he's fucking crazy, you know? They're giving him, like, just... There's stuff that happens in this movie that I'm just like, no, no, this doesn't ring true to me. Yeah. And it's just poorly written. Like, I just didn't think there was any real purpose to the movie in general, apart from just hanging this really, really, really top-notch performance on it. Hmm. Like, his performance was great. Like, I another movie I can think of that he was in where the movie wasn't that great, but he was good, and his co-star, Philip Seymour Hoffman, was good, was Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. Like, not a good movie, particularly, but good performances. Yeah. Which is kind of the way I feel about The Joker. I don't hate The Joker, but I'm just like, I don't understand why people are calling this movie a masterpiece. Mm. It's not even fucking close to a masterpiece. Really? Not even close. This is a, for me, this is a three out of five movie. Hmm. Like three stars out of five, nothing more than that. And most of those three stars are due to his performance and the way it's pretty stylish movie. Right. But I can't stress enough that Phillips seems to be trying way too hard to be Scorsese here. He's trying too hard at making the movie dark without giving us any sympathetic characters to hang on to. Mm. Even Phoenix's character, we don't ever really feel sympathy for him. Right. Because he's a villain. Let's Mm -hmm. be honest here. Um, Where the movie goes, I'm just like, I don't really like where you're going with this. Mm. Because there's certain things that happens to the character that I'm like, that wouldn't happen. And it wouldn't incite what happens by the end of the movie. I'm trying to be vague here. Yeah, good. So, you know, it's like all of it cruxes around the Robert De Niro character and the interactions there, but I just don't buy it. Okay. By the end of the movie. Um, and, you know, and I appreciate what they were going for. Like, it's not a fucking CG fest. It's not a, like... Oh, everything's great. We're superheroes. Let's fight villains movie. It's it's a dark movie. It's meant to be a dark movie. And I appreciate that. I'm glad they tried to put out a dark comic book based movie. But I just think it could have been way better written than mm. it is. I appreciated them working in the Batman backstory. But I just thought the whole end of this movie just rang complete bullshit to me, to be honest. I just couldn't buy it. I... I I have a very hard time with a lot of the script decisions, even though I said it's a good, it's a production wise, production design wise, great. Lead acting wise, great. Yeah. Just not for me. Yeah. Like if I have, if I had never seen a Scorsese movie in my life, maybe I'd be thinking it was a masterpiece. (laughs) But I've fucking seen Scorsese movies, a lot of Scorsese movies. Mm -hmm. So I know what a proper, 
beating the fuck up New York City, dark, dank, gritty, fucking Scorsese movie is. Mm-hmm. It's not fucking Joker, even yeah. though Todd Phillips would like you to think it is. Huh. So disappointing. Not a complete wash. Just super disappointing. Yeah. And not worthy of not worthy of any Oscar nominations except for Joaquin Phoenix, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I don't know, man. Like it's one of these ones where I was kind of excited at the beginning. Yeah. But trailer, any clips I've seen, I'm just not interested. No, I think he's. I think if he won for best actor, I'd have no issues with that. But this movie getting the most nominations hmm. blows my fucking mind. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. I really don't get it. And I'm not alone on this. Hmm. This doesn't have a very great critical response to it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think, I think what it is is that all these people who are saying they love it are people who have been watching all the superhero movies and are just fucking burnt out on shit like the Avengers and everything. Yeah. And then this comes along and it's something different. And they're latching onto it. That's what I think's happening here. Right. Okay. But I mean, like I said, I've seen Scorsese movies. Yeah. So I'd rather watch those again. <laughs> nice. Okay. It's it's not terrible, but for me, just pretty disappointing. Okay. So that's Joker. All right. I'll move it down on my cue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't rush. Okay. Uh, let's go into the world of bikers from the early 70s. Okay. Um, and I watched a biker movie that I've never seen before. And that's the one called Angel Unchained mm. from 1970. Is this on one of those Mill Creek box sets? No, I think it's Code Red or Scorpion. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so directed by Lee Madden, who did another bikers movie called Hell's Angel 69. Um, and he also did a not a very good movie called The Manhandlers. Um, so this one's opens quite cool. It's got, it opens in a small carnival where a biker gang is just sort of hanging out and then another biker gang comes and they have a fucking rumble in the carnival. Nice. So they're fighting on the I Ferris like wheel. They're fighting on the fucking merry-go-round. Nice. They have a fight on a roller coaster where they're fighting on the car as it's going this sounds pretty roll. good. It's pretty cool. So good opening scene. Um, liked it quite a bit. Then um, our lead character, Angel, um, played by Don Stroud, decides he doesn't want to live that life anymore. He wants to go do his own thing. So he gives up his jacket to his buddy, and he's like, peacing out. Fucking hippie. <laughs> so <laughs> off he goes um, and does exactly that. He becomes a hippie. He uh, meets this girl. Um, so he's at a, he's at this gas station filling up his bike kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, there's some rednecks there who give him a little bit of a hard time. But then this hippie truck pulls up with Tyne Dolly in it from Cagney and Lacey and oh, this yeah. other dude. And they go to fill up, but the bikers won't let or the um, rednecks won't let them fill up their car because they're hippies. And Don Stroud... Um, takes a stand and basically fills up their car for or their truck for them and uh because he's kind of i think he's got the hots for times time daily they go on a motorbike ride together she takes him back to where she lives which is this commune on the outskirts of the redneck town um 
we um the leader of the um red ne- or the um commune is Luke Askew who I've talked about on many times on the show um this is kind of like if Luke Askew's like mysterious hitchhiker character and easy rider went on to form a commune outside of a redneck town and maybe matured a bit that's kind of what we've got here with Luke Askew so um he's like the kind of chill um, leader of the commune that's trying to keep everything together um but we've got the um the rednecks who drive dune buggies don't like the hippies so they like tear into their commune and like run over their crops and threaten them all and um don stroud like hits one of them and um escalates some violence a little bit and then makes the rednecks really mad and they're like we're fucking coming back in a week and we're really gonna fuck you guys up unless you guys leave kind of thing so it's a really tense situation between the rednecks and the, the hippies so luke Askew goes to don stroud and he's like hey man can you i know what your background is can you go and go back to your old gang and see if they can help us out so Don Stroud's like, well, I guess. So first of all, he goes and tries to talk some sense into the rednecks, which leads to a kind of a cool, brief little fight involving a cattle prod. So I'm like, okay, so we got some momentum going with the action. And then Stroud's clearly like, well, fuck this. I got to go, got to go back to my old gang. So he goes back, talks to the leader of the gang, played by Larry Bishop, who's, um, um, you know, he, he was in a number of, you know, both, both Stroud and Bishop. You kind of know them if you know all exploitation movies. And then he made a really terrible movie called Hellride. Made Hellride. But, yeah. But in this movie, yeah, he was really cool, man. I really liked Larry Bishop in this movie. He he was like the young, the young, cool Larry Bishop yeah. with the beard and very like uh, um, kind of matinee idol-esque in a way, but like, but scruffy and yeah really cool so i liked him a lot um and and uh so angel convinces larry bishop's pilot character to uh to um come back to the commune to help them out so the bikers come to the commune of course a bit more mayhem ensues as you know clash of the bikers versus the hippies and the bikers are all wild and the hippies are all like what the fuck um we've got um uh, fucking Bill McKinney's there as as the sidekick biker to uh, Larry Bishop's leader. Bill McKinney, you know, is squeal like a pig guy from Deliverance, and he's usually obnoxious, loud, um, and a bit of an asshole in every movie he's in. Um, no exception here. So there's all this tension because he's kind of going over the top a bit with his rowdiness. He's trying to like get. Uh, you know, Angel's girl, Time Dally, he's trying to like hook up with her and stuff and causing all this tension. Meanwhile, they have a few run-ins with the rednecks that are on their dune buggies. So it's just basically about, you know, the building up to this day when the rednecks finally invade and the big rumble that happens. And yeah, I mean, there's not a lot going on here, but there's enough cool actors in this that it uh, playing, playing their parts quite well that I, Pretty, I enjoyed it. Clips along very well. I don't know if I, I've seen Don Stroud in a lot of movies, but I don't remember him being a lead. I thought he carried the movie pretty good on his own. Um, like I said, Larry Bishop was great. Um, they had real bikers playing most of the gang. Um, there was a few actors, but most of them I were. I think they did in all these movies. Yeah, most of them were a real biker gang. Um, and it was filmed in Arizona, and Arizona is one of my favorite places in the world. I, I especially down by Tucson. 
um, in the uh, old Seguro cactus forests, um, which, you know, those cactuses with the arms, like I love those. And this was all shot around there and a really, real nice treat because you, most of these movies are shot just outside of L.A. So you get a bit of a different landscape. But yeah, I thought it was I thought it was def, it's definitely a fun little movie that's a little different than a lot of the biker movies because a lot of them are just about the biker gang and fucking shit up or uh-huh. um but this one actually had a bit more of a message and a bit of a different plot where the bikers are actually coming to the rescue a bit and I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool little AIP uh biker movie that um yeah, it's it's worth a look if you've never seen it. That's for sure. Yeah, there's so many of those from that era that i've never seen yeah there's about 10 like pretty good ones and then there's yeah there's angels hard as they come yeah angels hard as they come easy rider of course wild angels yeah the corman one yeah wild angels hell's angels on wheels that i have that biker one oh is there a biker one? yeah there's a biker one it's got like pink angels in it and all kinds of stuff like that yeah like there were there were quite a few of them but there's yeah five to ten really kind of famous there ones. There were so many at the and time. And this is though. one of the big this is one of the bigger ones and that oh, okay. I remember. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was an interesting one just because it had a bit of a different a different um blueprint than right. most of these do. And what what's it called? It's called Angel Unchained and I believe it's from Scorpion. Oh okay. On Blu-ray. Yeah. You watched it on Blu-ray? Yeah. Oh okay. Yeah. Cool. I uh I'm not really a big guy into those biker movies, as you can tell, since I only saw Easy Rider for the first time last year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I enjoy the biker movies, but I, I haven't seen a lot of them either because a lot of them have been kind of hard to find. Yeah, I know that sets like 12 biker movies. I'll, I'll find it for you later and show you well, what's it's on it. probably on that 200 thing i have uh, right possibly possibly <laughs> okay which um, i still haven't even watched anything from <laughs> way to go man you bought a 200 movie box set for like what 50 bucks yeah and you haven't even watched one yet you're beginning to sound like me um okay so for my last selection of the evening i'm going to talk about a movie from 2019 that uh i've kind of been curious about just because i've heard Many things about it. I've heard that it's, you know, brutal and kind of hard to watch and very, like, intense. And that's a movie called The Nightingale from Australia. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the sophomore effort from Jennifer Kent, who made The Babadook, which is a movie I know you do not I pre- do not do like not The like. Babadook, yeah. Um, this is... I'm assuming I have not seen the Babadook, but I'm going to assume this is nothing like it because, first of all, it is not a horror movie. Um... So this is set in the 1800s in Australia. This is set during the colonization of Australia by the British. And its basic thing about this is uh, it's set at like a base camp, a British base camp, where there's a girl called Claire, played by... I'm going to fuck names up on this just so everyone knows I'm going to screw up actors' names. Played by Aisling Francioski. Franciosi, um, and she's kind of like a convict who's been made to work at this camp to try and work off her sentence. She lives there with her baby and her husband. And, uh, you know, basically she works all day for the, for the British soldiers and at this British camp then goes home to her family. Rinse and repeat... And she keeps hoping she's going to get a pardon because she keeps getting promised a pardon by the lieutenant there played by Sam Claffin. And um, so from there, it kind of becomes like, you know, something terrible happens to her loved ones. 
and she decides that you know I'm gonna set out to wrong a right here. I yeah. don't want to give a I don't want to give a lot of this plot away. Really, it's basically just a revenge movie where yeah. it's you know her hunting down the lieutenant and other people to right a wrong. Yeah, that's all I'm gonna say about the plot. Um, so the things I hear about this movie being super violent and super brutal and things like that. I'm a seasoned horror movie guy. So I didn't find this to be super, super, super brutal like everyone's saying, but it does have a lot of violent moments. Uh, There is a fairly brutal moment early on that I found very kind of difficult to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, There are violent bursts throughout this movie. Um, but I really didn't find that that was the main focus of this. Like, cause a lot of this, a lot of people are just talking about that stuff. Yeah. And I think there's a lot more going on in this movie than it's getting credit for. Because when she goes after the Lieutenant, she takes on a tracker, uh, played an ar- Aborigine tracker called Billy played by, uh, Baikal Ganamarbar. I see. I told you I'm going to fuck names up. And, uh, you know, at first they're kind of, not seeing eye to eye and he doesn't really agree with what she's trying to do or whatever. And then from there they kind of have to band together and it's not just banding together to take on the loot, find the Lieutenant and do what they have to do. It's also banding together just against the blatant, like mistreatment of not only women, but of Aboriginal people in 1800s Australia, where they were basically treated like, like, to put it bluntly dog shit on the bottom of your shoe. Like people were like, Oh, the blacks get rid of them. We don't need them. That kind of stuff. You know, that, that slavery, you know, genocide kind of deal going on. So that plays a part of this plot too, which I thought was really interesting because I was like, okay, I thought it was going to be just a straightforward revenge movie. Yeah. But it really, what this is, it's, it's a, it's a revenge movie at its core but it's also got survival elements to it because it is them braving the wilderness. And it's got, you know, these these messages about, you know, past history and racism and how people were treated fucking terribly in Australia in the 1800s. So it has all that stuff going on. Uh, but at the same time, it does have that propulsion of a revenge story to it. You yeah. know, because like what you want in a revenge movie is for it to keep going mm-hmm. and and get to that logical conclusion. And it does that. And it does that perfect, perfectly the way I wanted it to. But I just found it really interesting that they had all these side things going on, like the relationship between uh, Claire and her tracker, the tracker Billy, and how, like, um, you know, they... They ended up having they ended up having a really good chemistry together, the two actors. And I thought it was really great because... Uh, the guy who plays Billy, this was his first movie he had mm. ever been in. And I thought he gave a really, really good performance. When I saw him, I was like, oh, it's that guy. And then I realized, wait, I've not seen him in anything. But I think it's because he had that look of, like, in some, there's a certain Aboriginal actor that I've seen in a lot of Australian movies that he looked very similar to. Okay. Just because of his hairstyle and everything. So right. I think that's what I was getting confused. So you've got that going on. Um, and then uh, Sam Claflin's just fucking detestable in this movie. Like, I hated him through the whole thing. So that's a good performance in my eyes. Yeah. Like, if you can hate somebody that much, they're doing a good performance. 
It's like when I watched the Breaking Bad series and I hated the character Hank. And now oh, yeah. every time I see that actor in anything, I'm like, fuck you, Hank, to this day. Yeah. Those are good performances. And his performance in this is amazingly detestable and great. Um, and there's a, there is a scene in this movie where the main actress gets to show this pent-up rage and sorrow and violence of the character that I thought was really, really super, super effective. So, I mean, and there's also nightmare sequences peppered into this movie off and on. So I don't really want to talk a lot about it because it's more of an experience that if you go into it not knowing a lot, you're going to get a lot more out of it. But I thought this was really good, man. Right. Like, I thought this was like, this is on my top 10 for 2019. It wouldn't make my top five, but it did. But it is now officially like, I think this would fall like number seven hmm. because I thought it was a really well done uh, revenge movie, but with more going on underneath the surface than I was expecting. I thought it was the sparse production values really lent mood to the movie. I thought the lead performances were all great. Um, I like the lighthouse from last year. It was shot in this tighter 137 scale so it was like more of the full frame framing on it which i thought lent actually this more claustrophobic feel to the movie too and i i mean i'm i think it's a really well established well done movie for only her second movie right like i haven't seen the babadook so i can't say but i mean this this is a really good follow-up for her i think like i think this should get her noticed to be honest cool even like I know that Babadook got her some notice, but I really think this should get her more notice because this is a very, very well done revenge flick, for sure. It just sounds really, um, uh, it like the plot doesn't sound interesting to me. It actually is though. Yeah, like I was surprised. Like it's a two hour and fifteen minute movie. Right. And I was totally engaged the entire time. Yeah. Huh. And and like I said, it, it helps that the 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 tracker and the girl have a really good chemistry together. But yeah. at the same time, the director doesn't lose focus of what the main underlying thing is that this is a revenge movie. It's not a movie about their friendship. Right. You know, this is a movie about this terrible person being hunted by these people and at the same time all the terrible shit that's going on around them. And how it affects everything else. Right. So I just thought it was a very well, like, established movie. And I think I'm really curious to see what she can do next. And now I'm, I am I really kind of think I should watch The Babadook. Because maybe I'll get a better take from it than you. I don't know. Oh, yeah, have fun. But we'll see. We'll <laughs> see. But, I mean, this definitely... I've been hesitating on watching The Babadook for a while. Yeah. And this might force, like, push me to watch it now. Because I think this is a really, really well done sophomore effort and uh i think not a lot of i think more people need to see it to be honest is it out is i watched it on demand okay yeah so it's on demand it's not hard to come by all right cool so that's the nightingale josh's vhs adventures <sighs> i love when you start the vhs adventures with size i picked up some new shit so like it's okay, gonna get better okay. but You've said that for a while. <laughs> no, I actually did. Okay. I found a box of fucking gold. Okay. But it's like so good that I'm like, oh man, like I don't know if I can watch this <laughs> it, stuff because I don't want so to have to. so good. I don't want to have to sell it. Like, yeah. All right. Well, what do you got this time? 
Meatballs three, summer job. Okay, well, well at least you're being consistent. <laughs> With what? Watching the meatball series. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, it was the next one in the meatball series. I actually wasn't gonna do this for this segment, but the one I was gonna watch, yeah, was a shrink wrapped tape. Yeah, and I opened it. Yeah, and, and the, tape the fucking was bad. tape was not attached to the spool. Oh man! So, Can you tell us what it is, or are you gonna try and fix it? I don't know if I'm gonna be able to fix it. It was a Bogart movie. Um, shit, what was it called? Um can't remember what it was called huh but it looked really cool huh so instead you got to watch fucking patrick dempsey and sally kellerman well i've been kind of wanting to watch this for a while i remember one thing about this movie and i'll tell you what it is later okay so meatballs three summer job 1986 directed by george mendelik um the only thing i recognized was stone cold dead only because i think code red put that out or uh Or was it Kino? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Because I bought it. Did you? So did I. <laughs> but I don't really know the movie. I just no, know it, that yeah. cover. It was and... like, it was on sale on Kino, and I was like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so so the, unlike Meatballs 2, this actually is directly related to the first Meatballs because they tie in at the very beginning that Rudy, played by Patrick Dempsey, is supposed to be Rudy, played by Chris Makepeace. Really? Yeah. So it I is, haven't seen this since it came out on VHS, so I didn't know that. Yeah, it is it is him. And he goes to this um so Tripper, Bill Murray from the original movie, has bought it is has owns this like marina. So <laughs> Rudy has gone to the marina to work for Tripper for Who's the summer. Who's playing Tripper? So Tripper, we learn at the very beginning sold the marina to this guy named mean gene all right who's uh so that's how they get around it kind of a biker gruff with a name like mean gene i expect him to be (laughs) announcing wrestlers coming into the ring or something (laughs) but he's that chubby biker loud 80s guy um so so it is definitely tied to the original, but Patrick Dempsey is no Chris Makepeace. Very different vibe, and I was kind of, like, confused for a bit. Um, I also didn't, re- again, didn't realize it was Patrick Dempsey for a little bit, like, because he's so young in this. Did this come out the same year as Can't Buy Me Love? No, earlier. This came out um, around six? Uh, Heaven Help Us, which uh, was his first movie. 85. I also learned that Patrick Dempsey, if you don't know, you must, everyone knows who Patrick Dempsey McDreamy. is, right? Yeah, McDreamy from <laughs> Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. And yeah, he's just one of those guys. Can't that we Buy all, Me Love, man. Yeah, Can't Buy Me Love. Who doesn't we all like know. Can't Buy Me Love from the 80s? What I didn't know is that Patrick Dempsey played Mike Damone in the Fast Times TV show. Oh, really? And I just can't imagine no. Patrick Dempsey playing that character. Who plays him in the original? Uh, Robert Romulus. Yeah, there's no fucking way. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, really weird, right? Because yeah, yeah, he's yeah. so sleazy in the yeah, original yeah, yeah. movie. And I just can't see Patrick Dempsey playing Yeah, I can't it. see Patrick Dempsey, like, conning a girl into, like, having sex with Oh, him. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then walking out on her when she has to go get her abortion. Yeah, 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 yeah I can't see <laughs> that. Like, Mike Damone was just such a memorable... I, I, I just can't see that. I, could just, I see Patrick Dempsey, like, freaking being the one who, like holds her hand during it yeah like the mark ratner right yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally <laughs> so anyway um so rudy's there he's you know getting bullied like usual and like it's kind of like didn't you learn anything from the first movie dude but um no he's just getting 
bullied and he can't get girls and blah 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 and of course there's a there's a girl there I find this is a theme in these kind of movies where there's a girl there named Wendy played by Isabel Mejias um her only credit that I recognize is Julie Darling, which is a movie I really want to see from Code Red mm. um, with Sybil Danning. That's supposed to sound that sounds really interesting. But um, I always find there's this like loser kind of character who can't get girls because he's going for all these like super hot like beach bunnies that are assholes. Meanwhile, he's got kind of like this punky, cool girl who's like oh, all over him. Some kind of wonderful all over again. Yeah, and I'm just like, <laughs> it's always, and I'm just like, why aren't you going for the punky why are you girl? Going for, why are you going for Leah Thompson when you could have Mary Stewart Masters? <laughs> yeah, like just, I'm like Breakfast Club. I'd be all over <laughs> Ali Sheedy. Fuck, I don't care if she has lice. So, I mean. <laughs> it was dandruff. Whatever. <laughs> but all I just find over and over yeah, again, yeah, yeah. like the no, girl I would go for is always the creepy it's a total one. theme. There's always the girl off to the side yeah. who like kind of is her the friend but wants to be more than friends who's just kind of like ignores because he wants the hot girl. Oh yeah, like she's like literally jumping yeah, his yeah, bones yeah. and he he will not. He's like pushing her away and stuff. I'm like, you're an idiot. Anyway. Well, that happened in Mischief too. It always happens. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> anyway, so he's... Um, he's... In, desperately trying to get laid even though he can get laid any fucking time he wants from wendy who's really cool but no he's trying to get laid and is being unsuccessful so one night him and wendy are watching a porno um starring roxy du jour and um that's when wendy's really trying to get with patrick dempsey but he's like more interested in watching aging sully kellerman in this porno than again Wendy, making his own porno. Yeah, he could be making his own porno. <laughs> so he leaves the, leaves her house, and we find out that Roxy Dujour has died in like some sort of tragic accident, and she's trying to get into heaven. And when she gets to heaven, we we see this all. The porn star's in heaven naked, at talking to Saint Peter, played by Al Waxman. So you know it's a Canadian movie. <laughs> Not the king of Kensington. <laughs> so Al Wax was there playing St. Peter and saying, basically, you have to go back to Earth to help someone if you're going to come into heaven. So she's decided she's going to go back to Earth to help uh, Patrick Dempsey's character get laid. So off she goes and uh, they meet up and he kind of supposed to worship her and he's kind of bored by her and annoyed. And I'm like, okay, if I was like really into some porn star and she died and then was helping trying to get me laid, I'd be the happiest dude in the world. But no, that's not how it is. Um, so the movie's just about all these hijinks with, with her trying to get him laid. Maury Shaken Shaken shows up as a the a member of the gang that um um, mean Gene is also in another of these, sure sign. It's Canadian another movie. Canadian, yeah, another Canadian sure sign, and they're like this gang of like. I guess kind of like lake bikers where they dress like bikers, but they ride like um, jet skis and shit. So it kind of felt like water world for a bit. So um, lake bikers. Yeah, that was kind Two of lame. words that don't belong together. Nope. <laughs> that was kind of lame. Um, we had lover boy songs. So more Canadiana. We had hot girls in love, which was as cliche as it gets. 
Um, Ronnie Hawkins is the bar band. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> More Canadiana because Ronnie Hawkins, of course, is the the artist that the band started playing Ronnie for. Ronnie Hawkins shows up in every Canadian movie <laughs> in the 80s, it seems. It's true. But I mean, I, I don't know. I thought it was the only of... one he showed up in that I was like happy to see him was Snake Eater with Lorenzo Lamas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um. There's a wet t-shirt contest that's way too short, especially after I've seen Spring Break pretty recently. Um, oh, and then Shannon Tweed is this love goddess who's the uh, supposed um, wife of Mean Jean who, like, guys keep trying to get with and Mean Jean keeps throwing them out the window and and uh, Patrick Dempsey's kind of, you know, obsessed with and she keeps coming out of the out of you know that the balcony of the house but never leaves the house and she's this like mythical character almost um you know and shannon tweed i i always like seeing her show up she doesn't take her clothes off which is kind of odd for shannon tweed but i still like her i always i always like seeing shannon tweed show up um whether she's um kind of doing what she's kind of expected to do in most of these movies or not i always like her um, as an actor just i like seeing it when she shows up so good to see her and i thought her part in this was pretty good um but man sally kellerman's character like i don't mind sally kellerman um but man, like the advice she's giving, like this is so dated, like 1986. But her big, like her big, like moment and her big advice for Rudy is no means yes. <laughs> That's what she keeps saying to him. And like throughout the whole movie, this keeps coming up. No means yes. Hashtag and me too. Just like holy <laughs> fuck, dude. Yeah. So it was. It yeah, was no. really, really that, bizarre. No, even back then, that was not a. That was not cool. I think it was that then. I think that was a thing. You know. But only with fucking assholes. Only with fucking assholes, right? But yeah, like nowadays, never would you think that, right? But um, yeah. I mean, that was uh, pretty shocking, but. I don't know, man. I thought this was fine. I mean, you know, <laughs> I guess I liked it better than Meatballs too. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I don't know, man. This series is yeah. Well, <laughs> all I remember about this, I'll tell you what I remember about this because I remember barely anything. I remember that every time Sally Kellerman's character was on the screen, they seemed to give her some foggy glow behind her because she's supposed to be a ghost. Am I right on that? There were the well when she's with Al Waxman for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just remember that. And I remember a scene involving Sally Kellerman's character to tell him to shove a sausage down his pants so that his dick oh, looks bigger. Yeah, she does that. Yeah. He does that. So and she also has magic powers where she can do zany things. So like, so like yeah. great advice. No means yes, put this sausage down your pants so you look like you have a big cock. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. And then she can do zany things like make people like punch themselves in the face and things like that. Or she can, she can freeze time. She's got Scott Bayo zapped powers almost. (laughs) Kind of. Yeah. Um, one actress in this that I, um, Justine Campbell plays Val. Um, you know, she was definitely noticeable, but, um, and has been in some, a few other things, but didn't really have a lot to do. Um, I thought the kind of, you know, as, as usual with these, there's the like villain characters, Tom, the nemesis and his buddy who are like constantly trying to trip Rudy up. But I don't know. I mean, it's, it actually, 
I didn't like the original meatballs that much even. This made me appreciate that one a lot more. And although it was nice to have a bit more of an R-rated bent, like Summer Camp, so at least you got a bit more of yeah, what yeah. you'd expect in a TNA comedy than you do in the original Meatballs, it really made me realize, okay, meet the original Meatballs is, is definitely the best one. And I know this this series is going to go down well, you hard. you only got one left. It's going to go down hard in the next one. Well, but Corey Feldman, isn't it? Yeah. But <laughs> this was entertaining enough, I guess, but... Kind of, yeah, it was weird, like a weird, a weird plot. Like both these last two have just gone off the rails on these weird. Like the last one had this fucking alien coming down, smoking pot with everyone. But who would? Who would? Who, I'd like to be like, who's the writer who's like, you know what? What if this kid gets advice from a dead porn star? Yeah. ghost? like who would think of that? As like, I know, and that's kind of that's interesting. Like again, I like interesting ideas, but it's just and it's okay. I, I kind of feel like Sally Kellerman maybe brings it down a bit because I didn't buy her as a porn star, right? At all. So maybe that's part of the problem. But um, Now, if it was Sally Kirkland, I could buy it. <laughs> and not Sally Kellerman. Maybe if it was Tracy Lawrence, I could have bought even it. Even Sally Kirkland, because she's played call girls and shit in movies True, before. but I mean, why not cast... There was... This is a time Fuck, where why not let all... Shannon Tweed be the dead porn star? Why not let Ginger Lynn be the dead porn star? Like... You know, there was uh, there was people we could have. I think they could have cast that better. Maybe they could have got Tracy Lords to be in a movie before Not in This Earth. <laughs> I think she was too young. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind, everybody. Anyway, um, I'm not worried that this isn't. Well, I mean, I guess I always worry that things aren't out on DVD, but. This is only seen a VHS release. It's really hard to get. I think. I think only one in four have seen anything past VHS. Yeah, yeah. This is a tough series to track down. That's for sure. Yeah, because I think four is out on MGM DVD. Yeah, and one's been the only one that's made it to Blu-ray. <laughs> but you know, some of these VHS movies I watch, I do. I. I, I'll admit it. I've held on to them because, like, perfect timing. Like, it's just so. Hey, that's because perfect timing is rad. It's just so rare, and they're kind of cool. Like, um, so I, I have held on to them, but like, perfect time. This one, this one will not be sticking around. That's Meatballs Three Summer Job. Josh's Beatrice Adventures. All right. So one thing we just wanted to mention is we've kind of made a decision recently um, in case you've been wondering, like, why there wasn't there a topic on the last episode. And there's not one in this episode either. And that's because Chris and I talked and, you know, we've noticed our episodes creeping up to like the four hour mark. And we kind of said, you know, hey, maybe if we're going over like two and a half hours on the what we've watched section, we should just defer the topic till an episode where we're a little under that just so we're not getting ridiculous. We don't know what you guys think about this. If you've got feedback, we'd really appreciate it. Do you care if it's four hours? Would you rather it be a little shorter? Do you care if we do topics? Um, you know, I've, I've heard some mixed feedback on the topics, but, um, you know, I, I, I do enjoy doing them from time to time, but I also, it's, we can find it can be a little hard to talk for like a long, long time. Yeah. Cause we do these all in one night basically, and we both work <laughs> and sometimes it can just get a little exhausting. So, um, let us know if you have any opinions one way or another, um, you can let us go on our Facebook group as usual, or if you feel more comfortable, you can um, message us on Facebook or Instagram or 
Twitter for that matter. Um, Facebook's probably the easiest way because we both have that. We both yeah. look at that account regularly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Chris, do you have anything to add? Yeah. To that? See, the thing is too is that you know I've had people say to me in the past like, "Oh man, your episodes are just so long. It's ridiculous sometimes." And I'm like, "Well." We like talking about movies and <laughs> we do. We we like people to get a lot of information about movies and stuff and and you know and and we're okay with doing topics it's just that sometimes we were getting so burnt out. Yeah. By the time like we were into the topic that we were like we didn't feel like we were giving it the proper you know focus that it needed really. Yeah. So that's why we made this decision that like oh, if the first part's going on a little bit too long then we'll just, you know, hold over the topic for another time because we'd rather deliver a little bit shorter content, but more focused content than content where we're kind of drifting away from what we want to do, if that makes sense. Yeah, like we've had a topic ready for the last two episodes, like research and ready, but we know it's going to be another hour, right? At least to talk about that. So we've just kind of held off a bit. I know when I'm doing the what we've watched section, and I know you as well, mm-hmm. like I really want to cover that movie, whatever we're t- whatever I'm talking yeah, about. We, we, I want to cover it we completely. We omit stuff all the time from yeah. our what have we watched. So the ones we do talk about, you know, we look into, we, we want to make sure we cover it well. Um, and that's why we can talk a bit at length, especially if both of us happen to have seen the movie. Yeah. Um, we want to cover it at length just so it's kind of, Done, <laughs> right? So, um, and we both kind of like doing that section quite a bit as well. Yeah, it's fun, but um, but yeah. So just um, you know, that's that's kind of what we've decided. We want to try and shorten them a little bit. I know two hours and forty five minutes is not fucking short by any stretch, but it's shorter than four hours. <laughs> I just figured if we're bi weekly and there's a podcast that has a weekly episode that's an hour and a half each, hey, we're averaging out. Yeah, at three. So yeah. So uh, anyway, any feedback would be appreciated. Yeah, any anything. Uh, just if you're not comfortable putting it in a public space, like Josh said, send us a private message on Facebook. That yeah. way we'll both see it and we'll both be able to uh, reply to you. I mean, it, it's, it's important. We need to know. I mean, you guys listen to this. We just talk shit for like three hours. <laughs> so it's important to know what you guys think. So don't be afraid. Yeah. Don't be afraid to tell us. Cool. Okay. And here's my end spiel, which is the typical. Uh, rate and reviews on Apple Podcasts, Google, wherever you listen, Spotify. And uh, join that discussion group because, you know, today I got to say how disappointed I am that there might be a Lethal Weapon 5. <laughs> but uh, join that because, we, you know, we, we'll answer anything. We, we like to have fun talking about movies even outside of the podcast. And, uh, you know, yeah, I think that's it. So please, please, please feedback. It'd yeah. be wonderful. Yeah, and go see nineteen seventeen in the yeah. theater. In the theater. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. Good night.